does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Hun to get to news from both sides of the professional ledger here in Indianapolis between the Colts and the Pacers that we will update you on, and including two things that really have come out within the last hour. But on this Tuesday, I'd like to begin, if I could, with the following. And my name is Jake Query. By the way, thank you for listening to Query and Company here on 93.5107.5 The Fan, Eddie Garrison, and Jimmy Cook, the other two voices that you hear on this program. Um, it was just under 24 hours ago when we were on the air here in Indianapolis on this radio station, when we were informed that there would be a company-wide announcement that, of course, we were not able to tune into because we were on the air. And for those that are unfamiliar with this, and I would assume that would be the vast majority of you, the station that we work for was acquired in a corporate merger or a buyout, whichever way you want to look at it, by Urban One Radio some just over a year ago, about 16 months ago. And as a result of that, that meant that those of us that worked at B105.7, Hank FM, um, WIBC, and The Fan were merging with the Indianapolis Urban One Radio stations and becoming an even larger family with more colleagues. And whenever that happens and you have two buildings that are merging into one, obviously it means that you have a lot of different personalities and people that are integrating and getting to know one another and figuring out who's who and who does what. And that's a long process. It goes without saying. Very shortly after that merger took place, uh, my friend, Emily Longnecker, a dear friend of mine who works at Channel 13, called me one day and said, hey, what are you doing on this Friday? And I said, I don't think I'm doing anything in the morning time. What's going on? And she said, well, my friend Jerry Wade does a Friday dance party and wants to know if you want to come out. Or Emily wanted to know if I would want to come out. And I said, okay, where is this? And she said, on the east side at Quality Life Adult Center, Adult Day Center. This is a place for senior citizens or people that, um, you know, are in a situation, whether it be physical limitation or people with intellectual disabilities or just, you know, those that need a place to go over the course of the day, they go to the Quality Life Adult Center. They do fabulous work on the east side. And so I said, yeah, sure, I'll go. What what exactly is it? It's just a dance party. So I went and Jerry Wade was the DJ. And I don't know Jerry Wade well. I didn't know him at all until that day. And I walked in and Jerry Wade, knowing that we had just become co-workers, acted as though I had been a brother and a colleague to him for 30 years. I, in fact, was not. But more importantly, what I saw was that Jerry Wade brought a sunshine, an electricity, an energy, a belief, and a purpose for all of those people at Quality Life Adult Center in that one-hour dance party. He knew all of their names, the adults that were there, whether they were regulars or whether they just came once a week. He knew what music they liked. He knew what dance they'd been working on. And he made every one of them feel special. And I sat and watched it and was mesmerized by the connection 
that this guy had with everybody there. And I knew of Jerry Wade and knew of his name because he was synonymous with radio, and in particular with radio amongst the urban community in Indianapolis for some four decades over the course of the years in doing a number of, you know, the quiet storm with the lover man Jerry Wade was uh, a staple in Indianapolis radio. But what was most important, I think, to see was that there are a lot of people that get into media and get into television and radio to elevate themselves, to profile themselves, to spotlight themselves. And then there are those that get in it because they feel that it is a means to spotlight others. And that was Jerry Wade. Again, I did not know him well, and I'm not pretending to say that I did, but he was one of those people that the gift that he gave towards his fellow people was one that you didn't have to know him well to immediately be able to recognize it. And Jerry did that for those folks at Quality Life Adult Center, and for somebody who grew up in Indianapolis, he did what I believe to be the master execution of the gift and the privilege that we within this profession have, and that was that he utilized his microphone to be that as a microphone for a group of people in Indianapolis and for an entire city whose voices needed to be heard. And Jerry passed away. That announcement came yesterday internally within our company in that meeting that I talked about some 23 hours ago. And I know for so many people in this building, for so many people that enjoyed listening to him on the radio, but most importantly, for so many people that he never truly knew, but truly knew him. And as a result, that meant that they were all collectively friends that he gave purpose towards. We offer our condolences today, and we offer a thank you for the mastercraft of this profession that was executed by Jerry Wade towards giving continued purpose as to what broadcasting is and should be all about. He will be very, very missed in the city of Indianapolis, a city in which he served so well. So with that, on this Tuesday, we have a lot to talk about, including the news that Jim Ursay, the owner of the Indianapolis Colts, is in a release from the Colts themselves. Uh, Jim Ursay is battling an upper respiratory illness that he is hospitalized for, and as a result of that, will not be able to make uh, his latest Jim Ursay Experience concert, which I believe, one of you two guys tell me correct, was within the next week in Los Angeles, correct? I thought it was this weekend. It says this week in Los Angeles in the statement. Uh, the following statement from the Colts, quote, Jim Mersey is currently being treated for a severe respiratory illness. While this unfortunately means he won't be able to perform with his band this week in Los Angeles, he is receiving excellent care and looks forward to returning to the stage as soon as possible. We'll have no additional information at this time, and we ask that you respect the privacy of Jim and his family as he recovers, end quote. There is obviously plenty of precedent or background in Jim Mersey's health history, that of which he himself has been very transparent, that one can decipher from that. But for the time, the thing to be taken from that is that you hope that Jim Mersey is well. There was a lot of, as we'll talk about with Stephen Holder coming up at 2 o'clock, I think there were people that were starting to wonder why he had not been at some of the recent games for the Colts, and in, certainly in this time when Jim Irsay is usually kind of front and center. 
in terms of um, offering fans perspective at the end of the season or leading perhaps a press conference with those things being shelved, then clearly the Colts wanted to get addressed where that uh, void has been. And so therefore, that question for now is answered regarding Jim Irsay. goes without saying. I know that all Colts fans wish the best for a healthy recovery for Jim Irsay. Also the best for health for Tyrese Halliburton. As that was really the big story last night, going into today, you would have guessed that would have been the biggest story, of course, of the sports day. Halliburton last night slipped. Tony East actually had an interesting tweet in the game last night with the Boston Celtics where Tyrese Halliburton had slipped on the floor and Tony East had pointed that out and said, Tyrese Halliburton just slipped and seems very unhappy with the floor. I think Perzingis at one point slipped in a similar area of the floor. But then later, Halliburton, just a really awkward... How would you describe it, Jimmy? Just a like a slide into the splits? Yeah, basically trying to stop your momentum and instead your legs are out from under you going in a full-scale splits that you're not trying to do in that situation. And immediately when he goes down at Gabridge Fieldhouse, I can't speak for all Pacers fans, I can just speak for myself. You could hear a pin drop within that building and it's hard for your brain not to go in overdrive of Oladipo, of Paul George, and of thinking of just franchise players. Clearly, it was worse for Oladipo than it was for Paul George. He winds up still having a great career, regardless of how you feel about the guy. But for Oladipo, kind of the last straw that really derails his career from a health standpoint. In this situation, it's hard to not let your mind race as he's picked up, as there's a towel over his head. And when you look back at replay, you see, well, he's grabbing his hamstring, so maybe it's not the knee like maybe it is something like that and then to thankfully see that it's just a hamstring strain it's left hamstring strain that'll probably keep him out a couple weeks but could have been far worse and the idea on top of that with all that emotion in the building that a Pacers team who is no doubt especially offensively a less potent team without him is still able to surge forward is still able to put together a 44-point third quarter and close out late in that game and win a tough contest, albeit against a shorthanded Boston team, is a deserving credit moment for the Pacers as they get ready in a couple of days after the Washington game for this long road trip. But all in all, though, yeah, Jake could have been a very scary Tuesday morning, Tuesday afternoon here in Indianapolis, and instead a sigh of relief can be had by both the franchise and the fan base. So what we know is this about Tyrese Halliburton. Rick Carlisle joined KB, Kevin Bowen, and Andy Sweeney this morning for the wake-up call and talked about the fact that after the game, Tyrese Halliburton was able to leave Gamebridge Fieldhouse under his own power with ice on his hamstring. And that, I think, right there was a positive forecast to begin the day because people knew that he was going to be having an MRI today to determine the severity of of the injury and whether or not the hamstring was torn, whether or not it had been like totally removed from I, what is it like the bone, I guess, you know, whatever it may be, there's obviously different levels of the injury itself. Grade one being the, while I'm not by any means underscoring the severity of an injury, grade one being the least severe of the different grades. This from Adrian Wojnarowski, quote, Pacers star Tyrese Halliburton has a grade one left hamstring strain in MRI revealed on Tuesday. He's expected to be reevaluated in approximately two weeks. 
but there is relief that he has avoided serious injury. Halliburton has had a spectacular season so far, averaging 24.2 points and a league-leading 12.7 assists. The 21-15 and 15 Pacers are sixth in the East. So that is, uh, by all account, probably as good a news as you could hope for for the Pacers when you saw that injury. And to your point, Jimmy, when, when Halliburton goes down, we are, and no matter any walk of life that you are in, you automatically default sometimes to the worst-case scenarios with which you have been exposed. And if you're a Pacer fan, the odds are pretty high that you're probably a Colts fan or a Purdue fan or an Indiana basketball fan or all of the above or a couple of the above or a combination thereof. And all of those teams have had seasons that have come essentially in the mind of the fan to an end because of an unfortunate injury, a broken arm going into the regional finals in Dayton, a torn knee late in the year that prohibits you from getting to a Final Four in New Orleans, a torn knee in Minneapolis, a an elbow injury to a seven-footer for a team that's highly seated and has huge expectation early in the tournament. And in the case of the Colts, obviously, Peyton Manning, Andrew Luck, And then with the Pacers, it goes without saying. You automatically, when you see Tyrese Halberton go down, you are like, oh my goodness. And Paul George's injury, interestingly enough, was not a career ender by any stretch of the imagination. He came back probably even a better player. But when it happened, it was so grotesque and it was right at the zenith of his rise where all of a sudden, Pacer fans are like, we have something here, and then boom. You think it's going to be finally the year you take down Miami? It's another growth year Correct. for Paul George, and then it's all sucked away from you. And he's a superstar, it. right? Yeah. He's on he's yes. on an, an international stage, and yep. then that happens. Like, like there was this stardom, and Pacer fans were so excited by this new teddy bear, they squeezed it so tight it broke, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then Oladipo, obviously, we know what happened there. And in Oladipo's case, probably was the entry to essentially towards the end of a career. I mean, it was never the same. And therefore, with Halliburton now, you feel like the Pacers had captured that lightning in a bottle of a star again. They got a redo of a redo. And there is so much hope that rests within this kid from Wisconsin and Iowa State because, wow, he's a Midwestern guy with Midwestern value and he's not going to get starstruck. And now he's locked in. He's here for a while. He's contractually ours. Let's build around him. And you see that in the worst is thought. But, Pacer fans, but the good news is you can all exhale at once right now. Just just do so. You can exhale because as of right now, looks like it's going to be a tough road trip. Getting ready to go to, of course, they got Washington next, right, Eddie, at home? That is correct. Then they go to Atlanta because what Western road trip is better than when you start through Atlanta? That must be because of the airline, right? It's the connecting flight, they, they got to right? be flying Delta, right? It just makes more sense to go to Atlanta first. So they go to Atlanta, and then from there, out west. Denver, and then in no particular order, Phoenix, Portland, Sacramento. Um, there's one other one in there that I'm missing. Utah. Utah, thank you. Uh, all, all in there on this Western road trip. And it looks like Tyrese Halliburton will not play in those games. And I want to really get into the Jim Mercer conversation as well. Uh, but 
Also, the national championship game last night. All three of us, I, I think, believed that we thought Washington would win. Um, and, and listen, and they will, like in another six weeks when this when this gets vacated. But <laughs> I'm being sarcastic, Michigan fans. Relax. Uh, Michigan did what they had done all year, and that was that defensively, I thought they were dominant. I, it was, I felt bad for Washington, and I'll tell you why. And I felt bad for their fans. So I'm a Clemson fan. People know that. I remember the LSU game when Joe Burrow at LSU just absolutely blew Clemson out of the building and the game when Ohio State kind of ended the Clemson run um, where Justin Fields went crazy. Both of those teams had great offenses for Clemson, but they saw defensive looks and defensive aggressiveness they were not used to. And you saw like little glimpses where all of a sudden – the car started to start for a second. You thought, here we go. Finally, the car started. And it would go like two blocks and then sputter out again. And that's what Washington's offense felt like last night. I mean, Michael Penix is a dynamic player. He got throttled and thr- throttled and thrashed around to the point where he, I, I think he was... Yeah, he was clearly hurt at the time. Clearly hurt at the end, right? But, but each time, I, I don't know, and I feel bad for him. I don't know who 73 is for Washington, oh. but seemingly each time... They had a potential momentum-gaining play. There was a penalty, and it was negated. And they just couldn't get anything uncorked. And they were hanging around far longer than they should have. Yeah, I mean, you look at, and you give credit to Washington's defense for that. In most cases, with the way that game script was flowing, when Penix throws that pick on the first drive of the second half, if Michigan scores a touchdown there, that's probably done. And they hold them to three. And they kept holding them the field goals and gave them the chance to the point that it's a one-score game going into the fourth. And all of a sudden, you think, hey, Washington's going to have a chance to tie this thing. And we're going to have a real electric finish on our hands. And to your point, Jake, they just could never get out of their own way. Defensively, Michigan was suffocating both with the way they were able to shut down some dynamic receivers for Washington and also make life just hard and make things uncomfortable for Michael Penix to the point that he missed a couple reads in the first half. And when he did finally strike late, It'd be a holding call or it'd be a false start. It'd be something called against Washington. You give all the credit in the world to Michigan. And again, it, it's there is going to be a fallout at some point, whether it's from the NCAA, the CFP or whoever, there's going to be a fallout here. And I'm not going to take anything away from the athletes themselves because that's a talented group and they deserve the memories that came from it. But from a legacy standpoint, whether it's taken away at some point or not, that's the crowning achievement for Jim Harbaugh. And it had been a long time coming for them. And to some extent, regardless of how you fit on the Connor Stallions jokes and the sign-stealing scandal and whatever, it's a long road still to get through, even if you did have a a competitive advantage or however you viewpoint. And to shut down an offense like that the way they did for a full game, they deserve to be champions. How long will it last? I don't know, but they deserve it. Look, the... The sign-stealing scandal, it's fun to make fun of. Yeah. But I'll be honest. Maybe this just shows that I'm part of the the evolution of the non-scrupulous American culture. I, I, I still don't totally understand where you draw the line between that being really good advanced scouting and being non-scrupulous. Yeah. I, you know, so you had a guy that was going to... Now, the fact that he was, like, posing as other teams personnel to be on the sidelines is probably a little overstepping but 
going in and being able to figure out what plays people are going to run based on what they're calling or what they're signaling for, I I don't know how that's any different than looking at game tape and figuring out what they do based on scheme, but I joke around about it a lot. I go back to what my buddy Matt Jacklin said to me about IU basketball years ago when there was rumor at one point that Indiana had broken some rules and my buddy said, bring on the Final Fours, we'll worry about the sanctions later. And I think most fans feel yeah. that way. NCAA rules and sanctions and, and vacations and th- things like that, that usually impacts, affects, and is taken seriously by all of the teams other than the one that's hanging a banner. Yep. I, did Louisville I – was, right, yeah. I was there when Louisville won the national title. They won the national title, right? The Fab Five – the Fab Five was in two Final Fours. Sure, there might not be a banner hanging to remind people of it, but I'm aware of it. It happened, right? You can't take away the and, memories. You can't take away the pictures. Right. And you know what? Michigan, kudos to them. They were the best football team on the field last night. Um, I want to get back to the story about Jim Irsay. And, you know, the reality is this, and that is that Jim Irsay is – an owner that probably more than any other owner, he really has had, I think, as much an evolution as an owner in the last 10 to 15 years as any in sports. Ursay's a guy that, that, and I think people forget this, that when his father passed away, you know, Ursay had to go through the court system against his stepmother, in order to get complete and total control of the team. And I don't know that that was because she was refusing to surrender and it had been left to her, or they were simply figuring out the the way that from the inheritance of Bob Ursay's passing, um, the way it was going to be divvied. I, I, I can't remember the specifics of it. But it wasn't precisely a clean transfer of power, truth be told. And so there was, I think, among other owners in the NFL, not all, but I think to a lot of them, there was a resentment about Jim Irsay that he was an owner that had never worked outside of football. And I give Irsay a lot of credit because he is an owner that when his father owned the NFL team, you know, Jim Irsay has worked every aspect of the franchise. He worked as an equipment guy. He went and, you know, fought his way basically as a glorified walk-on in college at SMU. It wasn't like he just came out of the womb and it was like, here, son, you're the front office guy of the Indianapolis Colts. But he definitely, through the process, worked in all areas of the franchise from the bottom up, so to speak. Sure, many of those doors were open for him because his father was the owner of the team. But he was contending with the instabilities and the challenges and the difficulties that came with having a father that was an addict and under the influence of it, largely precipitated by the tragic passing of Ursay's sister when they were younger. And so Jim Ursay was not only trying to get his own stability as a young man within the football industry, he was also trying to provide some stability within a familial structure where his father was no longer able to provide that. When the Colts moved to Indianapolis and Jim Ursay was named general manager, I think by Ursay's own admission, he probably was not ready yet for that role. 
And while he did some moves that were pretty cool, Eric Dickerson coming here being one of them, he he erred in a lot of ways. You know, two first round picks for Freddie Young and, you know, getting Ron Meyer here and toying around with the wishbone. There were a lot of areas where I think he would tell you that he erred. And so I think a lot of other owners, quite frankly, resented that because here he was this owner that had been given the keys and was able to toy around in different areas of the car. And they, of course, are looking at it going, yeah, but I I had this business or this business and I had to earn my keep before I become became an owner in the NFL. And he was seen that way for a very long time. But I think things changed a lot when Bill Pullian came in to run the franchise and there has long been speculation that perhaps that was influenced by the NFL having concern about Jim Irsay, and therefore Bill Pullian was was brought in by the NFL. That's never been proven factually, but it's been widely speculated. But either way, Irsay's ability to step back and let Pullian bring a championship-level team to his franchise combined with then the long stability that came with that and parlaying that into the city hosting a Super Bowl and then... Ursay becoming for a lot of the owners like the elder statesman that was not afraid to speak out about different things affecting the NFL like Daniel Snyder. Those things, I think, all of a sudden created a shift in terms of the perception and the respect level for Jim Ursay by his fellow owners to the point where now he is actually, I think, one of certainly the most recognized owners in the National Football League and while this seems to be the antithesis of the origin or the genesis of his ownership, the way he was viewed, I think he's one of the more respected amongst the other owners and certainly one that other owners feel like they can lean on because he is, in their eyes, a long-standing, entrenched NFL football guy. If you look at a soundbite machine or if you look at something that's going to get airtime on ESPN the last two, three, four years of a significant viewpoint weighing in on the NFL topic of the day. You mentioned Dan Snyder inadvertently to some extent. I don't think he meant to draw up the type of ire that he did, but the running back negotiations last year on Twitter, like those are sound bites that are going to run, not just because he's an owner, but when I look at owners around the league, like the top figure I think of that's always going to get headlines. It's always going to be in the news is Jerry Jones, right? Like Jerry Jones, I think is the head of ownership in that league because of not only his tenure and, the, of course, the success that the Cowboys have, because he's well-respected in terms of being a voice for the entire body of ownership in the National Football League. And I don't know what the order is in terms of after Jones, but over the last three or four years, in part because of his willingness to speak out on the Dan Snyder situation, Jim Irsay has joined those ranks, to your point, Jake. like That has been his ascension to that role because he has been a voice that people either whether it's for a soundbite or out of just the genuine respect of him being an owner in the league, he has ascended to that point where it's Jerry Jones, probably a couple other owners, and then Jim Irsay is not that many breaths away. And with that, Jimmy, I think that Jim Irsay felt a responsibility to be transparent about his own indiscretions away from football. And those indiscretions and his transparency and the kicking the stigma and his his confronting his own addiction issues publicly, be it fair or not, created and led to a conjecture 
about his whereabouts or lack thereof when he wasn't seen during a time in which he is typically the most vociferous, and that is at the end of the football season. And so for that reason, the Colts issued the statement today, and with that statement that he is battling a respiratory illness, which, to be fair, is going around, no question about it, um, then you simply have to hope the best for Jim Irsay. The one thing missing from everything that happened Saturday night, the drop pass, the Colts loss, we know the season's over, the one thing missing was a spot in the tunnels of Lucas Oil Stadium of him doing a press briefing, right? Like, that's just something that you've grown accustomed to in not just Colts fandom, but in NFL coverage is his thoughts on the season. And, of course, it happens a couple times, but especially at the end of the year. And that was something that was jarringly absent over the weekend. So, yeah, of course, you hope that it's he's able to get better and it's a recovery. But, yeah, that was for sure felt his absence as recently as Saturday. Uh, Dustin Dopirak, did I say that right? Dopirak. Dopirak. Yes. Dustin Dopier, you had to think about it, didn't you, Eddie? Uh, Dustin Dopierak going to join us 1 o'clock. We'll talk about Tyrese Halliburton, Stephen Holder, much more on this Jim Mercer conversation coming up at 2 o'clock today. Loaded show here on a Tuesday. It's Corian Company, 93.5-1075, The Fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. By the way, you know my big um, revelation about this song, right? I don't think I do. True or false, Billie Jean. Yes. Oh, now you remember. Yes. Go ahead, Eddie. For the listening audience that was waiting for me to speak, go ahead. No, I was just saying that I remember this story. You can continue. Well, yes, what? That is this song about Billie Jean, a child of Michael Jackson. Correct. So the, the chorus is, the kid is not my son. But later in the song, he says, she showed a photo and my baby cried because his eyes were like mine because we danced on the floor in the round. And I never realized either, which I probably told you guys before as well, that Billy Jean, the whole subplot of the Billy Jean drama is also in the song Want to Be Starting Something. Because in the song Want to Be Starting Something, he says, um, Billy Jean's always talking and da 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 da. So like, it's kind of a theme within the Thriller, the thriller album. Um, we have some news within the NFL. Eddie, go ahead and hit it. Jimmy Cook and Lightness. This is from Adam Schefter on Twitter. The Titans have fired head coach Mike Vrabel per sources. Vrabel led Tennessee to four consecutive winning seasons after arriving in 2018, but the Titans have experienced back-to-back frustrating seasons, finishing multiple games under 500 both times. So Vrabel is out. Another head coaching opening across the NFL coaching carousel, and it impacts the AFC South in a large way because you have a figure that's been thought as many as, I mean, I, I hate cliche terms, but the the definition of grit, of going to have physical teams, they're going to be well-disciplined, well-coached, and the results have not been there the last couple of seasons. Titans decide it's time to turn a new chapter with who they think might be the next leader to try to guide who they think is their franchise quarterback and Will Levis. Okay, so the question then becomes the next coaching opportunity for Mike Vrabel. One would assume 
This is not his final stop as a head coach in the National Football League. He's had success, obviously, and I think is well-respected. Um, there has been already like a seed planted as to where he could end up, right? Yeah, I mean, the most logical move would be for him to wind up back in New England, right? He's He's a well-respected coach, as you mentioned. He's a product of that Patriots organization. The question would be if you are Robert Kraft and they do indeed decide to move on from Bill Belichick is, is that too close to the philosophical principles of the previous era? The one caveat I would say to that though, is the biggest mark against Bill Belichick, the last three, four seasons post Tom Brady has been his inability to be an effective general manager. And I would assume if the Patriots were to hire Mike Vrabel, he is not getting the cake and eating it too. He is just going to be a head coach in that form. And they would then bring along somebody else to be a GM. So maybe you are getting all the nuance of being a head coach and that experience and that just creativity ability, but it's not handcuffed any longer with being a general manager. Cause I think that's the biggest, if you could have everything, if you were a new England fan, if you could have Bill Belichick step away from being the general manager and just be a coach, he would never do that. But I feel like that would be a good turn for where they're going. You'd get that if you hire Mike Vrabel effectively. He's not, of course, as brilliant as Bill Belichick, but he is of that coaching tree. You know, the um, the thing about Belichick, I know we mentioned this yesterday. There's no denying that he's a great coach, right? Yep. No denying it. One of the best of all time. But there are two kinds of coaches. There are coaches that can just walk into any room and, and like, Maybe football and basketball are bad comparisons because it's, you know, 50 guys versus five or 10. But there are certain coaches that you just know when they go in somewhere, you look at it and you go, they're going to be good in two years. That's all going to work out for them. It'll be fine. That, That guy instantly turns things around, right? And then there are other coaches that you, you look at and you say, they're going to be really good, but it's going to take some time. They got it, it, they got to build from the kind of from the bottom up, right? Like Rick Pitino, everywhere he's gone in basketball, they're good right away. Kelvin Sampson, everywhere he's gone in basketball, they're really good, but not necessarily in the first year or two. He's got to instill and, and grow kind of his culture and and get his guys. And Belichick feels to me like the second. Now, I could be wrong. And we don't have a whole lot of body of work by which to judge on this because he has basically been, you know, as a head coach, he went somewhere and and basically failed and then got a second lease on things. And in New England, it all worked out for him. But it didn't just happen like overnight. And even when he went through, and I'll give them credit for the fact that they had the ability to kind of at certain positions, rotate players through. And so then you definitely felt like it was the system that he had. And I think there is a belief system that he creates for sure. But you need like the 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 key cog in the wheel player. And clearly Tom Brady is generational at that in, in that regard. And he was able to do it with a, a variety of different players or eras of players, but he always had the same cog in the wheel. My only thing with Belichick now, if if he were to go elsewhere, is 
how long does it take him to rebuild an empire? And how, Because how many years does he have left? And I don't mean living. I just mean to want to coach, right? Like there's a different energy that, that goes with being a head coach at 50 than being a head coach. Eddie, how old is Bill Belichick? Ooh, well, let me look. Uh, I'm going to guess he's... I believe he's 70. I, I was going to say 71. I, you know, the energy that is necessary, the time commitment that goes into it at, at 71, it's manageable at 45. And, and you forget the fact that like when he was first winning titles with the Patriots, you know, he was in his early 50s. Totally different. How old is he? Seventy one. Yeah. I so if he's gonna go somewhere and it's gonna take and he says, Well, you know, yeah, I mean, I just know guys you know, we'll look at some things and you know, give us three or four years. Well, he's gonna be seventy five then. I mean, come on. We're on to Cincinnati. Well that's why we're on to Cincinnati, that's right. That's why it makes and again, maybe they don't want him. Maybe if Harbaugh's available, that's the direction they want to go. But you always have with quarterbacks and coaches this chicken and the egg conversation or the yin and the yang who's the real secret sauce there was it phil jackson or mj was it phil jackson or kobe and Shaq? you're having that right now in some respect with andy reed like he was a by all accounts a very talented great offensive philosopher a talented head coach but you don't get the recognition until the winning comes along and the winning comes along because you can implement that system or implement that offensive philosophy around the generational quarterback. Same thing happened with Belichick and Brady. And I'll contend that, unlike some, I don't view, well, Brady won in Tampa Bay, so therefore the argument's over, because Brady had the opportunity that Belichick does now, to some extent, which is I can have a pick of the litter of where I want to go for one or two more years to try to compete for a championship here or there. And I'm going to go to Tampa Bay, where there's all these weapons, and they have a great defense, and I'm going to take them where they need to go. I'm going to be a culture shifter guy because I have that ability as a superstar, and we're going to go win a Super Bowl. And they did. To your point, though, Bill Belichick's much older. It's a far different timeline. The Chargers make all the sense in the world for me because I think they have it already in Herbert in terms of having a cog to build around. In that offensive slot, you're not chasing the quarterback every year. That said... Assuming they don't give him all the GM responsibilities, going deep into the weeds here on the Chargers, they don't have a ton of cap space. They have all okay. their money tied into other places. I'm going to tell you why I strongly disagree. Okay. But do you agree with the fundamental concept that if he does go somewhere, it should be somewhere where a quarterback's already there based on how old yeah, he is? Yeah, for sure. Okay. But if I'm the Chargers, sure. where do the Chargers play? SoFi Stadium in California. Biggest, glitziest, most gorgeous, like the the Disney World, Jerry World, Taj sure. Mahal, Mall of America of NFL stadiums, it's a right? Stadium for sure. Yes, the biggest and the baddest in the world, it's glitz beautiful. and glamour. Yep. What's the weather like in Los Angeles? Sunny. Sexy, sultry, yeah. sunny, laid back. The, the L.A. Chargers, even think- though they're the second fiddle, the L.A. Chargers are the park place to boardwalk of the L.A. football franchises. The Rams are the franchise, the Chargers are the secondary. That's the San Diego Chargers to most people. Correct. Right? But the Chargers themselves, the Chargers know, and they've always known, that now that they're in, even when they were the San Diego Chargers, and even when they were the San Diego Chargers and L.A. didn't have a team, they were the second fiddle of Southern California, and they knew it. They've always known that. The Chargers are ready to be big-time players. That's why they left San Diego to go to L.A., to go to SoFi Stadium. 
They've got sexy, cool colors now. They did away with the old Dan Fouts navy blue, and now they go with the pretty royal blue and the and the yellow helmets and everything else. Just and, accents each other in such a way. And Justin Herbert is a West Coast guy yeah. that has a big arm, and he's athletic, and he can run. And Mike Williams is a big-time playmaking receiver, and, and they play with a little bit of speed and flash and glitz. Okay? That is 1,000% Jim Harbaugh. Jim Harbaugh's quirky. He runs along the sidelines. He was Screech's cousin on Saved by the Bell. He's like a little bit out there. He's kind of crazy. Nobody really knows. Like he wears the docker pants, which is weird, but he's kind of unpredictable. And nobody really knows what's going on with him. But Jim Harbaugh, even though he's quirky and odd, is seen as a sleek, sexy, innovative coach. He's the guy that like he's walking around with that little sheet of paper and you never know what sort of like weird, fun quirks he's come out with where all of a sudden his team is high flying and fast. They're coming at you defensively. He's got a quarterback that's doing like meditation before the game for Michigan and then they go out there and they're ripping off multi 50 yard runs that they created somehow. That's Jim Harbaugh and that's what the Chargers want. And Bill Belichick, while effective, he's an F-150 He's gritty and tough and just through all circumstances, he's going to end up getting the job done for you. But there's not going to be anything glitzy and glamorous that comes about with any of it. And that just doesn't fit, I don't think. Now, he can win. I mean, I know he can win, right? But the Chargers want to win now. There are certain franchises that want to win the press conference. And then there are other franchises that want to win the conference. The Chargers want to win the press conference. Sure. The Titans or the Patriots, if that opens up, you know, the Falcons maybe, they want to win the conference. They want a coach that's going to win for them. The Chargers, man, LA, you know the difference between LA and Indianapolis, as I've told you before, Jimmy? I mean, is it just one? There's a million different okay, differences. Right, okay. But the one I told you about is in LA in the summertime, it's 72. 72 degrees, about 72, right? Sure. Indianapolis in the summertime is like 90. Right now in January, Indianapolis, 37 degrees. L.A., about 72. Indianapolis, million and a half authentic people. L.A., about 72. L.A. is all about look and glitz and glamour, and that's why Harbaugh's perfect for there. He can coach. To, to clarify, he can coach. I did, I did put that clarifier in the beginning that if I'm the Chargers, it's either Harbaugh or Belichick. And yesterday when we talked about it, I agreed with you that, yeah, Harbaugh makes a ton of sense to go there, but the angle I was presenting to the audience is for Bill Belichick, if he had the choice, he doesn't have the choice, right? You're right. The Chargers get to dictate those terms, but if I'm Bill Belichick and I'm looking around the landscape, I want a quarterback I can trust. I think for any coach, the Chargers is the most appealing job because of Justin Herbert. I think the world of Justin Herbert. The cap space is is daunting. Like They're going to have to make decisions with... Khalil Mack and Austin Eckler and or not Eckler uh, Keenan Allen Keenan Allen primarily there's one other that I'm forgetting they they put the graphic up on Saturday Mike Williams correct they have a ton of assets tied up long term to veteran pieces Bosa and Bosa in there as well I'd probably keep Bosa but but that's just me because of the type of game record that he is but there's decisions that are going to be made to whoever the general manager is that said they have the franchise quarterback in place and it's the most attractive do- job on a lot of different levels where we stand today on the coaching carousel for me. But I'm with you. Harbaugh would not only win the press conference, he would not only fit L.A. better, he coached the 49ers for a time, right? Took him to a Super Bowl. He would fit all the boxes they want to check to win the press conference, and he is talented enough where it would probably work out in a system 
of fun football for Chargers fans. You know, right now, if you look at the NFL, like think of a coach that that lost the press conference. Oh, uh, Nick Sirianni, Nathaniel Hackett. There's two of them. How about a third? Nick Sirianni got totally mocked, right? Yeah, he got crucified. How about Dan Campbell? Yeah, gonna eat kneecaps. Bite. Yeah, yeah. He got completely mocked, right? Yeah. And lo and behold, what do you know, right? Correct. It doesn't always matter. How much? I'm gonna go back to this. How much will tickets for the Super Bowl be if it's the Cleveland Browns and the Detroit Lions? <laughs> How much will tickets be? Will it be the most expensive Super Bowl ticket ever printed? Wait, where is it this year? Do you remember? Is it in Houston? Vegas. Is Vegas it Vegas? This year. It's Las Vegas. Yeah. Okay, so it's going to be out expensive anyway because it's Vegas. Correct. Yeah. But can you imagine then if it's Cleveland and Detroit? That honestly, like what, what at the beginning of the year, what could you have gotten in a parlay on literally? You'd be able to buy a suite. The, of Maybe the teams, two. what's that? You'd be able to buy a suite. Maybe two at the I Super mean, Bowl. I mean, honestly. If that was your prediction. What are there, four teams in the NFL that have never been to a Super Bowl? Yeah. Right? I think that's right. And you get those two of them right there, and both with somewhat of a legitimate chance to win it? I'm telling you. I think it'd be... If it's the Browns and the Lions, I might pay for all three of us just to go. Now, we'll be staying at a Motel 6 (laughs) or at my cousin's house in Henderson, Nevada, and just driving in and just standing outside out front. But we might just have to go. Fine with your cousin's house. That's free for you. You don't have to pay rent. That's That's another win for the NFL, by the way. That's the only sport where you could have that conversation of Cleveland and Detroit being in your final game. No question. They're still being buzzed and intrigued about it. For that matter, Buffalo. I know Buffalo's been a four of them, but if Buffalo gets in, Buffalo-Detroit would be cool, right? We'll see. Uh, Dustin going to join us 1 o'clock. Big... Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. News about Tyrese Halliburton. We'll go over that with Dustin Dopirak. You get it? Nailed it. Yes. You're getting better. He'll join us here in just a couple minutes. Um, quick news from you guys, or a question for you guys. You've been playing that uh, little soccer video game lately? Rocket League. Not lately. Speaking of which, you want to play tonight, Jimmy? Perhaps. Get back to you. All right. Isn't it your anniversary coming up, Eddie? Tomorrow. So it's your anniversary, and for your anniversary, you're (laughs) taking your girlfriend to the Pacer game? It was her idea. I swear. Now, now wait a minute. If I may. So your job is to produce the Indiana Pacer radio broadcasts. Yes. Yes. Which you do a wonderful job doing. Thank you. And so, to alleviate you from your daily responsibilities as the producer of the Indiana Pacer broadcasts, <laughs> yeah, when you decide to take a day off for your girlfriend, yep, for your anniversary, yep, she decides that what you would want to do is, in fact, go to the Indiana Pacer game. Well, she, we came to the decision that we're going to try something new for dinner downtown. Haven't decided what that is yet. And then she was like, if we're going downtown, you just want to go to the Pacer game tomorrow night. I was like, man, I guess. Is that what you want to do? She goes, yeah, sounds fun. I was like, okay. Okay. Now, this means that when you get married, that apparently Jimmy's wife will sign off for you to have the okay to wear a Pacer's ring ah, on your ring finger. Way to bring that full times, right? Okay, so you guys play this little uh, 
soccer video game where you drive cars and play soccer. Indeed. So within your younger demographic, how big, maybe not because it's been away for a while now, but IndyCar, by the way, signing a multi-year licensing agreement to once again return to iRacing. That is or is not within the wheel. Neither one of you guys did that even move the needle. It didn't do anything for me, no. Did you ever play iRacing? I had not. I've always been like, I've seen videos of it, I've been intrigued by it, but never done it, no. Same. I think it's because it's been away for a few years, right? Like, probably... Don't you need a full setup in order to play? That like, like that's you a need simulator, a right? And everything. It's a simulator, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I, I don't know that you need the full simulator. I think it probably helps, but I think you can do it with just like, uh, you know, I mean, some. Of, I, I think the problem that I've always had with, I can't speak for iRacing because I've never done that, but like even like some of the karting stuff, like I've gone to some of the different go-kart tracks. Sure. And you think it'd be fun, except for that you go out there and you realize that like everybody else is out there because they think that like actually they're going to get discovered and play at Mo- and race at Monaco. And you're like, yeah, I'm just here to like <laughs> drive around a golf cart because it looks fun. Yeah. And you get these people that are like super into it and like getting in fights and stuff because you know it's like playing pickup basketball and you get the guy you're like, dude, Marty Blake's not walking through that door, right? right? And you get the guy that's like super competitive about it and is still convinced that he'd be in the NBA, but coach screwed him his JV year. And it's like, uh, okay. I'm just trying to go on a drive, have some fun. Yeah. I mean, come on. So, so other than the soccer video game that you guys play, um, what's the most, like, what is the biggest, the hottest game out there? Right now, I mean, there's a lot of people that play Call of Duty, there's a lot of people that play Fortnite. Fortnite's still a thing. I mean, it's, it's, it's ebbs and flows, but yes. Okay. And then when you play like Fortnite, do you do you get to know people like from that you've never met before and play with them routinely, or is it just you play with a different group every time you log in? Usually, it's with some friends, right? Like I'm texting a buddy, texting Eddie, "Hey, you want to play tonight?" And then maybe one of Eddie's friends joins us, or one of my friends joins us, that kind of thing. Now you can go in blindly, and if you want to play, you know, with another person, you can they can give you somebody. If That's what I mean. Have that. you ever done that? And then like been like. No, like, are there people out there that are like, oh, yeah, my friend in Utah? And you're like, what do you mean? Like, well, I don't know him, but he's my right. teammate and such. Yes, and such. There, right. are, there are people that exist in that yeah. capacity. I have a yes. friend who has someone that is, I think, in Australia that is plays a, the game. You have a real friend or an imaginary Yes, a friend. real friend, Jake. That is not Alec. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then your the Australian friend. Now, that's tough because you got a huge time difference there. Yeah. How about my buddy Michael from Australia, my Australian uh, Pacer fan that I met at Pacer game years ago and then toured him around and whatever else. He is on his way right now. Five people, five Pacer fans. They left this morning to fly to Denver, and they're going to the entire Pacers West Coast trip. Wow. Okay. That's exciting. Five of them. This is the third time they've been to the States to see the Pacers play. The first time was when I serendipitously was sitting right behind them, and I noticed his accent, and we became buddies. And then he spotted for me. He brought all the Australians for the 500, and so he came to the Indy 500 in May. So now he's back. He's flying. He's going to Denver. They're going to the whole the whole gauntlet, right? That's awesome. And good news for you boys. Okay. Good news for you boys. He, I have arranged, he is bringing with him a, a, a bag of, of Australian goodies, including Vegemite, of course, oh. that he is dropping off to Denary on the last oh. stop in Phoenix so Denary can bring it back and deliver Not to us. Vegemite. Are we going to have to do that here? Oh, absolutely. Gosh. Vegemite, Sam. You, you, Darn it. I'll get the whole thing for you guys. But he was devastated, though, because they last night he was packing his bag like on his way to yeah. the Sydney airport, and they get news that Halliburton is not going to play it's Brutal during the trip. 
And we'll find out exactly what it appears to be, how long Halliburton will be out. And we'll do it in our conversation next. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Uh, Eddie Garrison, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm a fan of this song. And it was voted by Billboard magazine readers, I believe, as the worst song of the 80s. And I like wow. it. I do, too. Especially when the guy does the traffic report in the middle of the song. How can you not <laughs> like it? I mean, come on. But, you know, Marconi plays it. Uh, um, Marconi plays the mamba. Isn't that what he says? I think. I'll have to double check on the lyrics. I don't know Beautiful. if this is a white wing dove situation. That's right. Very possibly. Uh, Dustin Dupirak was there last night as the Indiana Pacers defeated the Boston Celtics. That was the secondary story to the fact that Tyrese Halliburton left the game being carried off the floor by his teammates. Rick Carlisle telling Kevin and Andy this morning that eventually Halliburton was able to walk out of the field house with ice on his hamstring, but under his own power, MRI today. Dustin, we'll let you go ahead and let our listeners know what it appears as though the MRI told the Indiana Pacers in regards to Tyrese Halliburton's hamstring. Yeah, so sources say grade one uh, strain, which is obviously the, the, the lowest uh, you know, caliber of strain, basically is, is sort of the best news for the Pacers. Uh, so he's going to be reevaluated in two weeks, so that's going to be after their upcoming, uh, I think, six games in nine days or ten days uh, you know, road trip where they're going to start in Atlanta and then they're going to head out west and go Denver, um, uh Denver, Utah, Sacramento, Portland, Phoenix, um, and you know then come back after that. So basically, he'll he'll be reevaluated after that. So you know you're gonna miss at least seven games, um, but could have been a lot worse. Uh, you know, could have been a heck of a lot worse. Obviously, when you see a guy getting carried off uh, that far, I mean, he is just. I mean, you, you rewatch the video. I mean, he is just. You know, James Johnson is carrying him like a child, which obviously reminds you of just how strong James Johnson is. Um, but he, you know, it didn't look good. Obviously, certainly in that period, certainly Halliburton was was reacting to it very emotionally. That's why the towel was on his head. Uh, so to come through that and, and find at this point to be, you know, a, a two week ish sort of injury, uh, obviously is. is Great news for the Pacers, considering what it could have been. Um, obviously, you don't know it's definitely just going to be two weeks. Obviously, last year, um, you know, when he had the elbow sprain, right around this time, um, you know, I, I think it was probably on a similar time frame and ended up being a little bit longer, you know, a couple more games, I think, beyond uh, what the what the you know minimum was for him to kind of get trained back up, and then he had to play with the uh, um, uh, the brace kind of on his elbow that, that you know messed him up for a couple of games. Um, so I think you're probably ultimately looking at a similar time frame, which makes it you know uh, it makes it a significant loss. I mean, uh, obviously that's that's tough to lose. The guy who's definitely been their best player, who's been the closer, who just did so many things run through. Um, but on the flip side, I think they're better built for it to handle it than they were a year ago. And again, it's just it's a much shorter timeline to lose them uh, than what you thought it might have been. It's certainly much much better than you know the worst case scenario. Dustin, I know you mentioned this in your piece, Dustin Apirak. Pacers beat writer, you can find his work and this article on IndyStar.com, and you touched on it a little bit there, but a year ago they lose 9 of 10 games when Halliburton's out. Different injury, of course, elbow sprain, bone contusion on the left knee, 
but they were never really the same team, nor was he when he came back even, as you highlight losing 17 of 20. You mentioned that they're better equipped. In what ways, in your mind, are they better equipped, and in what ways does the franchise feel they're better equipped to kind of keep the tide and keep the boat afloat while they are without their star? I mean, depth is a really big piece, you know, first off. I mean, obviously, they've got eight guys uh, that were averaging double figures. I mean, this, you know, adding a couple guys like Bruce Brown and Obi Toppin, whether you view them as whether they've been as good as advertised or not, they are still guys who can put the ball in the bucket and can contribute. Um, and so they've played really 11 rotation guys, uh, guys who have got that many minutes. They've got that many guys that they trust to get out there from, you know, Halliburton to Isaiah Jackson on the low end of that, you know, TJ McCall. And those guys have all, all made pretty significant contributions. So you, you don't have to throw anybody in there, you know, with this injury that hasn't been playing. And I think even early um, on in that stretch when, when Halliburton was missing time last year, I think Miles Turner was also hurt. He had his back lock up, I think, right before that Knicks game. Um, so I think the next one he was still out. They had to play Terry Taylor. Um, so they're not going to have to at any point um, go that far. And everybody who had to have an elevated role last year has at least done it once, you know, knows what this is like. I mean, for one thing, um, you know, even though maybe you, you might not have seen as much growth as you wanted to, you know, you have a more more experienced, uh, you know, Benedict Matherin. Um, he didn't have a very good stretch last year, you know, when, when he was asked to kind of t- take on a bigger role. Um, and, and he I think that was the first stretch where he started um, at all last season and he was removed from the lineup pretty quickly because he was struggling in that case. I think he's better equipped. Whether they start him or whether they just keep giving him big minutes and, and big opportunities to score, he's better equipped for that. Um, you know, a, a guy like Aaron Neesmith, I think, is, is more ready to take on a bigger scoring role if he has to. And, and Andrew Nemhart has been in this position um, certainly before if he has to start a point guard um you know, if he doesn't, you obviously have a guy like Bruce Brown that can do it, who's won a title. I mean, like you, you just have a lot more options, and it just seems like I mean, there's there's a style of play seems more ingrained. Uh, you know, they're, they're also defending better lately. I mean, just the there's the selfishness, selflessness, the ball movement. It just seems to really work well, and and the fact that they were able to summon that good of a performance last night, uh, you know, on the heels of him being injured and come out and have a 44 point third quarter. You know, some of that's obviously adrenaline, but I mean, a, a lot of it is, is also execution. I mean, they did a really good job of sticking to, you know, the game plan, playing every bit as fast and not backing down. And I mean, Jalen Brown was even really impressed. He was just like, you know, those guys didn't, they, they, they really ramped up in the third quarter. You, you lose a guy like Halliburton and you think they'd be a little bit dazed and they, and they were actually coming at you harder. Um, so I, I think all of those elements come into it. They're just better built, more depth, more guys that they can trust. Um, you know, and guys that are just further along and more experienced in the situation that they should be better. That's not to say that they won't lose some games and they'll probably lose at least one or two games that you would look at and say, well, that's a game you win if you have Halliburton. Um, but I, I think they're at least, you know, well off enough that the bottom doesn't fall out. Do the Pacers play up and play down? And by that, I mean, Dustin, we see this with teams that, you know, they, they seemingly obviously elevate their game, you know, from Milwaukee, Boston, but then at the same time turn around and lose to Washington. I mean, did they have – is that part of being a young team of the understanding of being able to to buckle down night in and night out as opposed to just when everything's juiced up? Yeah, 100%. I mean, that that's a bit like literally you know, what Tyrese Halliburton's answer was when I asked him why they lost to Washington in Washington. You know, um, it was basically that that's that's an issue. It's still a young team and is not fully understanding how to how to you know get up for games like that. And and I mean, part of that was also drain. Um, you know, just in, you know because they were it, towards the end of a long road trip that become that had become longer because of Las Vegas. There was just that whole entire adjustment of coming off that tournament, um, and they didn't 
just take that one near, nearly as seriously. And that was pretty much what you just said is more or less word for word Tyrese Halliburton's answer. It's just a young team realizing that, like, you can't just, you know, get yourself amped up to play Boston and Milwaukee. Um, you know, you have to be, you have to understand and believe that all of these teams, no matter how bad their record is, uh, have guys who can beat you. I mean, you, you know, everybody's got guys who are all Americans. Everybody's got guys who are lottery picks, you know, guys that make, you know, uh, millions and millions of dollars to play basketball. Even the worst teams have those guys. Um, so you're not walking over anybody like it's not like college where you get somebody who's a guarantee game and you know that guy didn't have a single mid-major offer like everybody in the nba is good so everybody in the nba can beat you and they literally say this that sentence out loud um all the time and they've been burned over that all the time over the last couple of years and, and to, to some extent it still hasn't um you know sunk in but i, I, mean, I think it's starting to I, mean, I think you've seen it a, a little bit of change in mindset over the last couple of weeks and then obviously you know if they're going to be playing without Hall- halliburton they are aware that that they're the team that everybody's going to be looking at and expecting them to falter um because they don't have a second guy um they have some really really talented players but they don't have a second guy that's anywhere near his level at this point in terms of like degree to which they're established you know maybe miles maybe Bennett somewhere in there but not quite so some teams are going to expect them uh to cower and they they they, they're going to know that they're going to be the you know um to use their phrase the hunter as opposed to the hunted on some level uh that basically that that no one's uh everyone's going to expect them to lose so their minds is probably going to change over the stretch but they've actually absolutely have had that problem they had that issue you know lost to portland i mean it's just wild you know that they have this many wins this season against milwaukee and boston yet they've lost to you know portland Charlotte, Chicago, Washington. I mean, it's it's just wild the, the games that they've let slip by and how much better off they could be if they just beat the teams early in the season that they should have beat. With TJ McConnell, TJ McConnell's funny to me, Dustin, because and we've I've said this on the show several times. You know, the here's the blueprint on TJ McConnell. He comes down the floor, he starts on the right hand side, he sweeps around on the baseline, he gets to the left hand side. If there's nobody to kick it out to, then he curls in and he hits a 10-foot jumper, and then he steals the inbound pass and scores again. And yet it happens like a gabillion times. Exactly. So the question is this. It's incredible. It is incredible, right? Mm -hmm. Is he the kind of guy, is this who he is, and, and he's able to do those things because he is only coming in in spot moments? Or is he able to maintain that level of sneaky, snarky play if his role is elevated without Halliburton and he is playing major minutes night in and night out? I mean, I guess the I haven't seen him do it in like 35, you know, like that's the thing. Like you've seen him do it in, even in 20. Um, you know, so I, I don't know what changes if he's playing 35 minutes and he's not a change of pace guy. Um, and, and so it, it, it obviously it makes you wonder, like, I, mean, I, I don't, I can't, I don't know why, even though the, the book is so obvious. And again, this guy's just not very big. You just think you would kind of know it's coming. Um, but he finds ways of surprising people over and over and over again um, at what he's able to do. And, and nobody really takes away from it. Some of it's just sheer will and determination and, and just ability and desire to play you know, all out. Um, but some of it's just like, I mean, you're just mind blown that, that he's able to get it. I mean, even last night um, at a, you know, in a position where the Pacers absolutely have to get a bucket. And you know that, you know, if you're the Celtics, when they, they, they actually fell behind 131, 129, you know, master not, they're making some great plays seem like he kind of heat checked a little bit. Um, and, you know, McConnell sees kind of where everything is going and everything going downhill. And so 
I got to go get a layup right now. And he went and got a layup. <laughs> and, you know, it just seems like somehow Tommy, he's able to will himself to those things. And so as far as, you know, can the offense go down? I mean, like, I'm, I'm sure if other teams dedicated enough, you know, scouting a report to saying you're not letting TJ McConnell get these shots, period. We're going to take these away, you know, cut them off, do whatever you have to do to make sure he can't beat you like that. You know, you probably could, but that's not to say he's not going to make some contributions someplace else, um, that he's going to find a way to create for other people. He's going to make things happen just, you know, when it comes to diving for loose balls and, and, and irritating somebody the entire 94 feet way down the floor. Like, e- even if you find a way to take the offense away, um, the defense, the hustle plays, you know, that stuff is going to be there and he's going to push pace. You know, I mean, he's going to play that fast um, and you're going to have to worry about him just coming right at you over and over again. I think that's really the the thing I think surprised Jalen Brown was that it it, like pace doesn't let up. I mean, certainly he doesn't, I mean, McConnell doesn't have the full range of offensive capacity that Halliburton does. You know, he's never pulling up from 35 feet and, and, you know, knocking one down. Um, But he is going to run up the floor every bit as fast. Everybody's going to follow him every bit as fast, and you've got to be prepared for that as a defense. And even that is taxing in and of itself, even if he doesn't himself beat you to the paint. Dustin DePirac joins us, Pacers beat writer for the Indy Star. Dustin, I know I'm fast-forwarding some things here, but when you look at the timeline, the news breaking, Tyrese Halliburton with a left hamstring strain, grade one variety, they haven't released an official timeline, but those that claim to be doctors on Twitter, which is about as useful as, you know, owning a Wikipedia page, say two to four weeks. If we play that game this Sunday, January 14th would mark five weeks until the all-star game. And Mm -hmm. I know that the biggest thing for the Pacers is getting him healthy and a playoff push. And if you probably asked him like, yes, that's something you're willing to sacrifice to be able to make sure you're a hundred percent for the stretch run post all-star game. But as we look at that and as we map out that timeline, how long before that becomes a real question of curiosity of, hey, how's Tyrese doing? Is he going to be available for All-Star Weekend? Yeah, if it's still a problem on February 1st, I think that's when you start asking that question. Um, you know, if, if he comes back or if he's on the mend or, or if they can give you a timeline, you know, after the evaluation that comes up on, on, you know, right around when they come back on January 21st, you know, then it's not so much of an issue because you're talking about, you know, uh, close to a month after that is, is when the All-Star game is. I mean, you do have to view this as this, uh, like, it's, it's at home. It matters. You know, I, I do think there's, you know, I, I, and, I, and I think back to the in-season tournament, there was aware, an awareness on certainly Halliburton's part and on the part of the Pacers that, you know, getting him on national television, you know, just is, is an advertisement and that advertising actually matters for this team because what you're trying to sell is this guy is one of the most fun players to play with in the NBA in basketball and you know that's that's one of your biggest selling points if you're trying to attract free agents or you're trying to be able to make trades and be able to keep the guys that you trade for and not have them walk on you when when their contracts up you know what you're selling is look how fun it is to play with this guy and the all-star game is another great you know certainly is a really really great opportunity for that both you know him being on TV but also I mean he's the host to this thing Presuming he starts, you know, obviously it's a big deal that, that he was leading among Eastern Conference vote getters. I think so. Like that's your your next opportunity to sell. It's obviously be past uh, the trade deadline at that point. So whatever's immediate will have happened. But I mean, you're still looking at free agency in the future and down the line and down the line and down the line. The more of these guys that he can get around, they can look at it and say, you know what? Like whatever you think about Indianapolis as a free agency destination, 
ain't it fun? Doesn't look fun to play with that guy. <laughs> you know, don't you think your numbers are going to go up? Don't you think like, you know, if, if, if you're toward the end of your contract, you're going to get paid, you paid or you're going to do a, do a short, uh, short-term deal, you know, that this guy's going to get you paid. You know, like, look at what this guy can do for you. I mean, like, you know, seriously, like, like even just look at, um, you know, the, what he's done for Obi Toppin. He's, you know, not that Toppin's had a, a phenomenal year, but, I mean, you're seeing that he can score and do all the things that you knew he could do. You know, it's just a transition rim runner type guy, and he's putting up pretty good numbers. So, you know, I think just getting him on stage matters, and so I don't think it's something to, you know, uh, as quickly cast aside as you might if, if it were someplace else. I mean, just the, the spotlight is going to be on him, and, and it's something that's – um, it, it's worth. It's, I'm not saying it's worth chancing a season. It's not worth chancing a major injury or anything like that. Um, but there is value. It's not a thing that you just cast aside if you're the Pacers. You have to view that, and he has to view that um, as something that is important in the organization. That if that if you know if, if he can play without it being dangerous, it's a good idea for him to play. They're not on the same level, but a lot of people point to the 2014 NBA All-Star Game, LeBron and Kyrie linked up for really the first, second time on the floor together, and a lot of people point to that as a, you know, a uh, cataclysmic point of as he's evaluating things in the offseason in Miami. I get it, Tyrese is not LeBron, but that's your large point is the ability to have those type of connections and on a larger mm-hmm. scale play with one another on the floor for the first time. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think it, it was, I, I think, really instructive to me just how much people were talking about you know, what if these guys link up even after FIBA, after the World Cup, and they were talking about, like, look how much fun Tyrese ha- ha- seems to be having with Austin Reeves, you know, and, and that kind of thing. And, and, again, he was just best pals with everybody. He's so good at connecting with guys on a human level because he just is really just capable of coming off as a normal person to anyone, um, regardless of just sort of how high up or how, how far down. Uh, you know, the latter you are. And so that is that he's going to have an opportunity to, you know, spend more time around, you know, some of the best players in the league and it's going to be his city. Um, and so, you know, that doesn't mean, okay, like LeBron James is going to be like, oh, we're coming into Indianapolis now. All, all You know, it's just you're, he's going to be around some other young players that he's close with and, you know, whether or not, even if he doesn't attract somebody like that, you know, uh, you know, they have friends. They have other guys that they talk to that might be looking to move and say, okay, like, that looks like a guy that you could play for. It'd be a good time. You know, they'll vouch. Um, and, like, none of it's bad, and certainly all of it has a chance to be valuable. You don't know what it could lead to, but it's something, and it just gets them around him uh, on the floor and even off the floor. Uh, and you get a sense of what it's like to, for, um, you know, what it would be like to play uh, for a franchise when he's a superstar. Dustin, just out of curiosity, are you currently covering the Iditarod? Uh, <laughs> no, Maxine has a lot of thoughts about what's going on. Maxine, in the this okay, day. and, yeah. and I, I don't have we met Maxine before. We, we we have met Maxine several times. You have at least on several iterations of your show. Maxine has made. <laughs> uh, Maxine <laughs> has is how Maxine is how old? Know. My apologies for asking she, again. She is a three. She's she's still three. I guess she's three and a half year old beagle. She be, she'll be four. Oh, that's right. Old. The beagle. Yeah, the beagles. The beagles very sure of themselves, right? Oh boy, boy, howdy, are they? Yeah, <laughs> she is. She is under the impression that she is the queen of this of, of Parker Avenue, and that everybody uh, must listen to whatever it is. All, all of her rules. Well, she probably so is the queen be violating of the rules today. Maxine's a sweet girl, right? Now, she is. Now, she is. now, Dustin, do you have a dog voice? For her, I, yeah. I kind of do, but I'm of not course, because you're not a sociopath, right? Is it right? Exactly. <laughs> Hello, baby. Hello, baby. Like that? Is it like that? Not quite. Okay. Not, not quite. It's there's. It's higher, but yeah. I okay, can't. fair enough. Hey, can yeah. Benedict Matherin, Dustin, uh, Dustin Dupirak of the Indianapolis Stars, our guest, talking about the Pacers. 
let's just say for the sake of argument that Benedict, Mad- Benedict Matherin now does kind of inherit the mantle of like one of your main offensive scoring pieces. Not that he hasn't always been, but without Halliburton on the floor. Can he be a leading scorer type player without your offense kind of grinding down to have to go through him? And I don't mean that as a knock on him, but does that make sense what I'm asking? A hundred percent. Yeah, no, it's exactly what, you know, I think it's exactly the question of how, uh, and, and, and I think he's getting better at it, but I, I think to your point, it's because when you have Halliburton on the floor, it moves, the ball moves so fast. And Halliburton, you know, Matherin can be a guy who likes to get somebody in isolation and, you know, take a couple crossover dribbles and then, uh, and then attack you. Um, and, but take his time and say, okay, like, how am I going to take this guy one-on-one? And it's not that it becomes, I mean, it's not James Harden-esque. Like, he's not that, it's not that much of a pounded, you know, six or seven times before you're finally going to go at the guy and step back and whatnot. But, but ultimately, you know, he's got a lot of one-on-one skill and he knows it. Um, and so he wants to see what, what he can do with that. And it's different to, you know, just when you're playing with Halliburton, you're kind of cutting and moving, cutting and moving, cutting and moving and trying to get in space. And, and Halliburton's thing with Mather is to try to get him to more frequently be ready to catch and shoot. Um, he said, you know, he, he likes to dribble sometimes. You know, he likes to kind of take a, take one um, at least. And it's just like, no, I want you to, I, I, I put you there. I got you the ball right there. Take it. Um, and so there's been some, he's been pushing him. I think Halliburton even said, you know, I've been annoying him sometimes. Um, but he started to get better there. But I mean, I think that's, that is, I think, a key question because it's just if, if Matherin, if, if you ultimately need Matherin to be t- your number two guy and you need him to be your number two guy in such a way that you could put him on the floor with Halliburton and that, it, you know, the situation is that if you double Halliburton, if you bring all these blitzes, Matherin is going to burn you for 35 40. Um, then he has to also be able to prove that he can play when Halliburton gets to play the, the, the way he wants to play. You know, he's got to be able to score both when it's being played at Halliburton's pace and as the guy that has to take over when Halliburton is being taken out of the game by all that other team's resources. So I think this is it's another area where you get to find out a little bit about him. Um, you know, he's certainly going to be in a, a case where, you know, presumably, you know, late in games, if they're close like they were, uh, you know, last night, they're going to try to get him the ball. I mean, he has a lot of opportunity to grow into this position. Um, and so, again, I think you're seeing some strides and, and there's, they're slow. They're not happening fast all the time. And there's certainly games where, you, you, you know, he kind of disappears. Um, and there are certain games when, when he you know, takes too many shots and struggles or whatever. But, uh, you know, that's, I, I think that's one of the questions you're asking. Yeah, I have the exact same question because it's like he, he is, as, you know, Rick Carlisle came out and mentioned, he's like the one guy who can, you know, other than Halliburton, who can create his own shot all the time. That, that, that you know that when, whenever he wants to, he can get his and get his at any level, you know, whereas, you know, like obviously McConnell can get his specific shot, you know, and, and Buddy can kind of get his specific shots. You know, Matherin has kind of a, a wider array of spots that he can get to where he can get open on the floor or get some space on the floor. Um, but, you know, it, it does that ultimately jive with Halliburton? You know, does, can he only be effective, you know, with this group if he's coming off the bench and he's, he's playing in a second unit scenario? You know, all of these things you have to find out as you're thinking about building your roster for the future. And so he's still one of the biggest questions they have to ask and they have to figure out what else is it they need if they're, as they try to build um, in, in a couple of years towards being a team that can compete for a title. Does Maxine have like neighborhood friends or, or like play dates or anything like that? Dog park friends? Yeah, I mean, yes, not so much in the neighborhood, but she's got, uh, you know, 
she's got cousins in a manner of speaking. It, uh, right. So uh, she's not know, basically a, my, my, so, my wife's friends. Several of them have mm-hmm. dogs that she hangs out with from time to time. <laughs> That's a, okay. And who does she hang out with? Do we know the names of some of the other dogs she's been like? Are there other dogs that are bad influences on Maxine that you'd say, <laughs> well, you know, I, I don't. <laughs> We'd rather not Maxine hang out over there. She's a nice girl, but anybody that rubs you the wrong way, she she she, she has she has a long term rivalry with a Boston Terrier named Wilson. <laughs> yeah, is Wilson's is Wilson a bad influence? Trying to get her to drink, smoke that no, kind of no, thing. Not 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 a bad influence because Maxine they, they, Maxine ain't taking it. Just she ain't you know she she isn't down with any of uh, any of Wilson's BS. But Wilson's entertaining. Okay. okay, Wilson so, yeah. Wilson is one of the greatest. Greatest dog athletes I've ever seen. He's ornery as I'll get out. He would try to fight every bigger dog there is. So Wilson is the TJ McConnell of the neighborhood is what we're getting at here, right? In speaking, yes. Yeah, Yeah, he absolutely is. Okay, I like that. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Very good. All right, Dustin, we appreciate the time as always. I know you're busy with the, um, you know, just kind of keeping tabs on the Halliburton thing, and, and, you know, we'll watch to see when Halliburton does return, but I know it's been kind of a busy last 24 hours. So certainly appreciate the time today and uh, give Maxine our best. Will do. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Um, now, Jimmy, do you have a dog? Two dogs. And the dog's names are? Judge and Riggs. And, and Judge is what kind of dog? Judge is a miniature golden doodle. And then Riggs is? A miniature dachshund. Oh, okay. Yeah. A wiener um, dog is their more common. Now, wait a minute. To. Have we not had this discussion? Maybe we have, and I apologize because I'm getting old. Um, you know, I was, uh, one of the, along with Lindsay Monroe from channel 13. I mean, we co MC every year, the wiener dog races at Oktoberfest. I think we briefly did because Has we Riggs mentioned not been that, an entry? not to that one. We gave a starter race, got a field out at uh shout out to a uh, beer brewery in Carmel. They had a, uh, wiener dog race over that same stretch of holiday play. So. And, and how did Riggs do? Yeah. Not great. Riggs is Riggs the lover, not a fighter slash runner. Okay, fair enough. Eddie, uh, are you a pet owner? I am of three. Three, okay. Three. We have a cat, as you know. Okay, and your cat's name? Well, see, that's the problem. We initially named him Simba and then lived in like Simba, so then we changed it to Stark. She didn't. She doesn't really care for Stark, so we just call it the cat. Okay. Um, we have two dogs. We have Joey and Yogi. Oh, you have a Joey also? Yes. Joey is a mini Australian Shepherd Cattle dog mixture. Okay. He is the devil. He'll love it when I bring the Vegemite for you. Yeah. He'll be, he'll, <laughs> oh, yeah. He'll, he's the devil between the two of them. Yogi is a corgi. Okay. And uh, do the two of them get along? Yes. Do you think that they might be in cahoots for things when you go to sleep and stuff like that at night? No. When because, you're home alone? No. Uh, because when neither one of us are home, Joey goes in the crate. Yogi can free roam because Yogi's a good boy. Uh, Joey likes to get into things and be destructive. Uh, but when I'm home and I'm asleep, Usually Joey's sleeping between my legs. Okay, now what about the cat? How does he get along with the two dogs? Oh, he gets along great. Really? Yeah. He'll play with them all the time and harass them, yeah. Okay, now, of the uh, the two that you have, now, now you you got the two dogs where, Jimmy? Uh, we uh, we purchased both Judge and Riggs. Okay. Got them from breeders. Eddie? Same. Neither of you guys rescued a dog? So the first dog that I ever had as a kid, shout out to Darlin, R.I.P., she was a little beagle mix, and we got her from the Humane Society, and I loved her to death, salt of the earth, but I grew up with doodles as well, and the first dog I wanted out of yeah, college or whatever I could buy was a, a rescue. I correct. Yes. Okay. That enough. said, yes, you should. The cat was always a adopt. Okay. She rescued the cat when she used to work in Fort Wayne. From just like the street or from a shelter? From a shelter. Okay. That's cool. Fair enough. Now, um, you, you only have Boo, correct? Correct. And, and then I, Shannon has a cat and a dog? 
Shannon just... has two dogs. Okay. Uh, we have Joey, who is a pug mix, and then Kobe, who is a golden retriever. Mm. High energy, Kobe. Mm. That that Kobe, now see, here's the thing. The neighbor dog uh, that lives behind, there's a fence that divides the two, but Merle is the neighbor dog. Pretty sure that Merle might be on meth. And Kobe oh. goes down there, and I think they, they do a few oh. toots together, and then Kobe comes in the house, and it's Zoomy time out the wazoo. So you might end up the, seeing both of them on, on patrol live yeah, sometimes. Okay. Right. Right. Yeah, they're, they're like that Wilson fella. There's always <laughs> that bad influence, right? Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Now I have a question for either of the two of you that we'll get to in just a second here. Thank you to Dustin for his time. My name is Jake Quarry. Eddie Garrison is... Manning the ship for us here. That's one of his responsibilities as as CEO of Query Company. Jimmy Cook is the president of the company. And it is a Tuesday here in Indianapolis. The two big news stories, if you're just joining us, where have you been? Uh, Tyrese Halliburton. We now know a grade one hamstring sprain. That is probably best case scenario after he was carried off the court last night. Uh, that is a... By most account, two to four week, probably easiest way to say it at minimum, West Coast road trip level sitting injury. One of the interesting things, Jimmy, that I think comes into play is if the, this sounds crazy, if the Pacers have, let's say, a game or two left before the All-Star game and he needs, let's say, what, you know, do they, if they feel he's ready would they in any way, shape, or form as a solid to the league sit him out one additional game in order to have him healthy to play in the All-Star game because it's in Indianapolis? I, I can't imagine that comes into play, but I who I, knows, I don't, right? I don't think it should be done as a solid to the league. I think it should be done... As a solid in, to the fans here, right? Yes, yeah. as a solid to the fans and as a solid to both the relationship with Tyrese and the Pacers. Like I'm Again, everybody in that locker room... And it's clear from Buddy Heald's comments yesterday and anybody else you talk to, it's making the playoffs this year. That's their goal. They're going to live the next man up mentality that every team is willing to do when an injured star goes down. But if you get to that point, Jake, it all depends on how much does it matter to Tyrese and how much does it matter to the Pacers? Because I think he needs to be out there if he can be out there. Of course, injuries that happens. But we talked about it with Dustin just a couple minutes ago, he is the MC, the ambassador, the maestro in terms of representing the city for an event that this is likely the only time it's going to be here for a lot of people's lifetimes based on how often they move the all-star game around the league. And on top of that, in a smaller vacuum, as we highlighted with Dustin, it's an opportunity to continue to connect, to recruit if you want, to form potential blueprints for future players that Tyrese would like to play with or future players that might want to consider Indiana as a destination to be a part of. So in terms of that last game, if it's important to him and important to the Pacers, 
then yeah, maybe you do consider doing it. I think there's the part of this too that we forget to mention. The Pacers have 36 games remaining. Tyrese has played in 33, so he can miss 14 games to remain all NBA eligible because you have to have the baseline requirement now of playing 65 games. And now with that new contract, I would have to take a deeper look into it. Tony East probably knows this, but he's probably got an accelerator of some sort in there that if he makes an all NBA, then that contract extension he signs reaches to another level and he'll make more money. So I think it would be important for him from a number games played specific standpoint to return that final game before the all-star break if he wants to secure a bigger bag. It goes from max to super max at that point, basically, right? Yes. Well, that's where you get into conversations, too, as well, of where team and player relationship is. Okay, before my question for you guys, the other big story of the day from the Indianapolis Colts earlier today, this from 10 o'clock this morning, when there had been growing speculation and question amongst some of the media, admittedly, as to the um, peculiar absence of Jim Ursay. Because Ursay is typically at every game. He often talks after games, usually via a video or press conference, you know, in some way, shape, or form speaks after the season. And when none of that came to fruition, I think there was some question about just the status of Jim Ursay. The Indianapolis Colts with the following statement, quote, Jim Ursay is currently being treated for a severe respiratory illness. While this unfortunately means he won't be able to perform with his band this week in Los Angeles, he is receiving excellent care and looks forward to returning to the stage as soon as possible. We'll have no additional information at this time, and we ask that you respect the privacy of Jim and his family as he recovers. End quote. Certainly um, hope the best for Jim Ursay and the Colts in that regard. Question for you guys is this. Mike Vrabel is out. As the head coach of the Tennessee Titans, that is a surprise by all account. Derrick Henry amongst those saying that it was something that caught him off guard. Both of you have mentioned the the wish list, and I'm sure the Colts would not be alone in terms of a fan base or a representative media in this sentiment. But both of you had mentioned the desire for Mike Vrabel perhaps as a defensive coordinator for the Indianapolis Colts. Question for you guys is, and I, I'm going to say this in what sounds like I'm condescendingly asking, so maybe rhetorically condescendingly asking, what makes you believe Mike Vrabel would be willing to be a defensive coordinator and is not going to get another opportunity in any number of places to coach as a head coach? I mean, he struggled out the door. That's undoubtedly the case. You had a Titans team that was at one point a one seed. He had coach of the year honors. I think they went like one in eight or one in nine, something like that in division matchups the last two seasons, two or three seasons, give or take. It was a clear fall across the board in Tennessee. And while the pivot might be a bit shocking for some, and you might say, well, they had it pretty good with an established coach. What are they doing? What are they thinking? For the Titans, it's a full-scale pivot to where they did not think that he was going to be able to guide them to any higher than he already was. And generally speaking, when you see a an spiral, but a fall from the top of the conference like that, So suddenly, sometimes that doesn't automatically get you a job right back as a head honcho. Now, if I'm a franchise, I would seriously consider giving that opportunity to Mike Vrabel. I I would like to see him continue to be a head coach in the National Football League. I mean, if coaches out there, if you were a franchise that's open, okay, 
Chargers, Fal- what's what's like a random franchise that doesn't have a lot of assets that like woos everybody? Probably Washington, Atlanta, right? Vegas, yeah, or Washington. Um, well, you know what? I'm going to take Atlanta because Washington, they're kind of doing a total overhaul. A- Atlanta, there's questions about their quarterback. You're kind of starting from the bottom, right? And it's just kind of a in whatever franchise, right? So if you were Atlanta – your wish list is how far do you go down your wish list of available coaches before you get to Mike Vrabel? Second? Probably second or third if you're including Harbaugh in there. I mean, even if we're putting prospective available coaches in there. I mean, I would take – I think I'm not certain I wouldn't take Vrabel over Belichick just based on age, right? Yeah, if you're looking for longevity of it, like it's the same thing with any old coach. At some point there becomes a – elephant in the room of how long is he really going to still do this but from a falcon standpoint Bijan robinson isn't the same style of back that like derrick henry is but by all accounts at least going into his rookie campaign he was supposed to be the next great running back in the nfl i know that's a catch-22 phrase because of the payment issues with running backs and all of that but still the way that atlanta is currently built they still need the quarterback but that would not be a bad landing spot they're could even be mutual well, interest. Well, I'm just saying, from a from a team standpoint, you ask him where does he fit or who would want him. No, no, no. What I'm saying is, from a if you were just saying a generic coaching job, yeah, that is not that is not specified towards a specific kind of coaching need. Mm-hmm. Mike Vrabel would be probably the second most desirable free agent coach out there, assuming Jim Harbaugh's available. He'd be third for me in that case. Behind who? Belichick. Okay. I. I, I but it clearly, all depends on where the franchise timeline is, too, right? Like, if if you're looking, well, to me, it's not about fra- with Belichick. It's not about franchise timeline. It's about Belichick timeline. I mean, do I want to take a guy that's seventy one that that I know in three years? I mean, Pete Carroll's like an anomaly, right? I right. Mean, yes, the quotes from him are insane. Like, I don't like, feel tired. I'm ready to roll. Yeah, I mean, turning seventy three soon. Belichick's yeah. like seventy one, going on ninety, <laughs> right? <laughs> yes. No, but I mean, it, it does matter too for franchise timeline because you're looking at Belichick timeline as one and the same. How much time is going to be needed to build a contender based on how long he's going to coach and the state of affairs with the franchise, like Atlanta. That's not an overnight project to fix. There's some weapons there. They still don't have the quarterback. That's where I would put Vrabel ahead because he's younger. If you're looking at a team like the Chargers, I know you highlighted Harbaugh, and that does make a ton of sense, but they could still win a press conference, just lay the rings on the table and say, hey, we're going to change Chargers football. And like, Here's a really good point from somebody. If Frank Reich was able to jump right back into a head coaching spot, Mike Vrabel should be able to. 100%. Yeah. Right, I think part of it with Vrabel is that they just hired a new general manager last year, and Vrabel has no tie to that GM, so the GM may have not had a well-established relationship. Yeah, something like that's with, clearly happened because with it's Mike been, Vrabel, it's been so a they, full three sixty. Yeah, like, so they decided to part ways, yeah. and now the GM can conduct a coaching surge, go get the guy that he wants in there leading the, the, the helm. And I think this has just been a big old spiral that's gone downhill ever since they traded away AJ Brown because that draft day footage of them. Um, of just trading AJ Brown to Philly, and then you see Vrabel kind of like walk out of the room and like, what are we doing here? Frustration, kind of body language and act. Um, I think there's what ultimately led to this decision today. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but that was not the same general manager that's correct. there right now that made that decision. And if that's what the Titans base that on, in part, that's short sighted on there because Vrabel did not want no AJ just Brown terms to be of gone. his relationship with sure, the but, front office. But, but I, I agree with your point, Eddie, about a general manager or at least another. 
I don't want to say bad actor, but somebody that would twist the tide of ownership because as recently as a couple months ago, they're talking about Mike Vrabel as like a steady hand and someone they still want to build around, at least from all the reports that are coming out today. So, you know, um, the AJ Brown trade, you forget about that. Like that's one of those that in hindsight, like at the time you thought, well, this guy clearly was just like a total malcontent. He must've been a major problem. Oh, wait, when Ryan Tannehill isn't throwing him the ball, he's good? Wow, this is crazy. And it's like, holy cow, like, you know, he's a game changer elsewhere, right? Yes. Totally a game changer. Uh, By the way, we were talking earlier about uh, good boys and girls. You had mentioned again, and what were the names for yours again, Eddie? Joey and Yogi. Joey and Yogi. Okay, how about a happy birthday to Cassidy? Cassidy, Canada. Sweet little beagle rescue. Today is her first birthday. Happy birthday, Cassidy. How about that? Monday was Yogi's birthday. Really? Yeah. What'd you do? Nothing. No Chuck E. Cheese, nothing? Nothing. No extra treats? No, sorry, it was Sunday. No extra treats, no toy, nothing? Yeah, you know, so here's the problem. They're both very possessive over everything. So if we give Yogi something, we have to give Joey something. Well, sure. I mean, didn't you- it's not, it's not Joey's day, it's Yogi's day. Eddie. <laughs> Did you go to birthday parties when you were a kid? I did. Okay. When you went to birthday parties as a kid, weren't there party favors? Uh, yes. Did everybody yeah. get cake or just the yeah. person whose birthday well, it was? Well, duh. But so I it's get Yogi's presents. birthday, then Joey gets a party favor. Okay, right? but he's not... If the present is for Yogi, Joey's going to get jealous. Not if he's got a party favor. Oh, yes. You give a big treat for Yogi. You momentarily you separate them in a separate room. Okay. I would like... Both of you to come over to my house and see how that works out. Well, you give them both a treat, Eddie. Do, do Again, you have, I, now do you, let me ask <laughs> this: Do you know? Do you know the birthday of the dogs, or do you just make up the birthday? No, we know them because we got the adoption papers. I had to make up a birthday. Oh, so for what that's worth, May tenth. Nice. Yeah. Any reason, or just throw a dart? Uh, I actually. Do you want to know? Okay, my name is Jake Query. That is correct. I'm a sports radio host in Indianapolis, Indiana, and I'm about to make the following confession. I adopted a cat from the Humane Society, and I had never owned a cat before other than like as a family. We had a cat when I was a kid growing up, Um, and he really is a, a cool dude. And then I realized that he needed a birthday. They didn't know his birthday because he'd he'd been the longest tenured resident of said hotel. And so... One day when he was sitting on my lap, you know, cats do the thing where they lower their head and it's called bunting, where they kind of bump their head into sure. you. So I said, boo, we need to figure out your birthday. I'm going to say a month. And when I hit the month that you want as your birthday, then you bunt me. And we got to May and then boom, he bunted me. I said, okay. And then we started over and I started counting one to 31. And when I got to 10, he bunted me. And I said, there you go. That's awesome. May 10th. I love it. So his birthday is May the 10th, and believe you me, boys, it will be a party. Give me right around. I mean, the month of May is great anyway, right? You got the mini marathon. You got the IndyCar Grand Prix. You got the Indianapolis 500. You got qualifying days, practice days, all of it, carb day. I heard rumors. May 10th is a Friday this year. I've heard rumors that uh, there's going to be just a live cam on Boo. It's going to be a, like via Zoom <laughs> the whole time during Querying Company right. on, on May 10th. I'm guessing he'll probably be asleep for the vast yeah, majority probably, of it. Yeah. You know, the other thing that's weird, he's oddly unaffected by catnip. Hmm. I, I, I mean, like, 
every once in a while, a catnip toy, he'll go crazy. But otherwise, Eddie's looking at I'll the- I'll reserve my comment. Huh? I will reserve my comment. Go ahead. I was going to say, I think your cat may be a former drug addict. <laughs> you, think, you think that's it? Yeah. You think that's how he ended up in the shelter <laughs> yes. to begin with? Yep. So what you're saying, no. So what you're saying is he is, he, he, I am like trying to bring him back to the dark side and he is just showing his will. Yeah. Okay. That's entirely possible. Although I have started to find small lighters around the house, which are Ooh. a little bit. Uh, Stephen Holder going to join us at two o'clock and we will talk about this situation, not just with the Colts season coming to an end, but the news today about Jim Irsay. We'll get to that coming up here. Top of the hour. You're listening to Quarry Company, 93.5, The Fan. Before we get... Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. To Stephen Holder, coming up in just a couple of minutes, and I look forward to that conversation. Uh, here's a question for you guys that really doesn't have anything to do with the world of sports. What do you do in this, in what I think is the longest, like, three to four week stretch of the year? Just because the weather's kind of dreary, there's not a whole lot going on sports-wise. I mean, I realize that the, you know, the NFL playoffs are fun, but, like, just during the course of the week, what do you do, if anything, to, like, keep you kind of going from one day to the next? Well, there's a couple of paths you can take. You can take the J.J. McCarthy path. You could pick up meditation. That could perhaps help you throughout mm-hmm. the struggles of January. You could become a full-scale... NBA addict and just dive into the NBA. Maybe okay. you just like basketball, right. college basketball the same way. There's plenty of that going on. IU Rutgers, Purdue, Nebraska tonight. Uh, or you could, ugh, this is tough, pick up a new hobby of some kind. Or you could uh, find a new show to watch or a movie That's series. A good point. Do you have a suggestion there? No, I don't. Unfortunately. Uh, there's a, uh, here comes the nerd in me. Uh, there's a new Marvel series uh, called Echo that's coming out tonight. Uh, all five episodes are dropping, so it's be a more darker take on a Disney-based show. TVMA what, what's rating. What's the title again? It's called Echo. One more time. Echo. All right. Should have caught it the second time. <laughs> I'll wear the L. That's on me. Well done. But anyway, uh, that would be my recommendation. Okay. Now, is um, that part of the Marvel series? Like, is it? It is. Okay. It's tied to the Daredevil Kingpin universe for those that know what those words mean. Um, what about you, Jake? What do you do during this time? It's tough. I, I, I mean, I, is that why you're asking us? This is really when I, I, I go all in at the gym, to be honest with you, just like to go in there and run and listen to music. And what music do you listen to when you run? I have a mix. Mm-hmm. I actually, you know, my phone, I've got like 3000 songs on there. So usually I just hit shuffle. And if I don't like what it is, I just keep going. Right? DJ query over here, you know, that's right. What kind of um, what kind of music? Like what genre? Artist? Everything. Here. Name an artist. I'm gonna hit shuffle on my phone. And if I actually if you name the artist correctly of the three thousand songs I have on my phone, then you I will give you a hundred bucks. Go. Oh, it's next one to pop Brenda. up. I'm just hitting oh. right now. Shuffle. Oh, oh my goodness. A C D C. A C D C? Okay. I'll go poison. Oh, nice. Sorry, it's Prince. Oh, Prince? Yep. A little of everything. Um, by the way, before we get to Stephen Holder, I wanted to, to rehash one other thing that I had mentioned off the top of the show because it happened just about 24 hours ago. Um, if you were not listening earlier, this time yesterday, as a matter of fact, right about now, 
we were on the air when we were informed of a bulletin, not a bulletin, a um, a request internally within the office for uh, a, an all-staff meeting, which obviously we couldn't attend because we were on the air. Um, but you could tell that it was something of importance. Back in, I believe it was August of a year ago, this radio station, The Fan, which was formerly owned by MS Communications, was purchased by Urban One Radio which had a number of stations here in Indianapolis. And as a result of that, 97.1 FM, Hank FM, WIBC 93.1, uh, the fan, this radio station, and our friends at B105.7 merged with the already existing Urban One radio stations, which included WTLC, one of the heritage radio stations here in Indianapolis. And in what has been a very fun merger amongst the two different companies, we suddenly had colleagues and coworkers from just up the street and have enjoyed in that capacity getting to know one another, both from a personal and professional level. Jerry Wade, for over 30 years, has been an absolute mainstay staple on WTLC in terms of being um, somebody who has obviously been addressing and entertaining the audiences in Indianapolis, his hometown, for the better part of his professional career. I did not know Jerry Wade well. I, for that matter, only met him once. And in that capacity where I met him was right around the time of those mergers, my friend, Emily Longnecker, who was a mutual friend with Jerry Wade, called me up and said, hey, Jake, do you want to come out? My friend Jerry does a Friday dance party at the Quality Life Adult Center on the east side of Indianapolis. And that is a center for senior citizens and people with uh, anything from physical disabilities to you know some of them having an intellectual disability but an area an adult daycare center where people can go and just you know get different services that they need and enjoy life at the same time and Jerry Wade on Fridays would go and do a Friday dance party and, and DJ it for these folks and so I was invited by Emily to go out and do it so I went And I knew of Jerry in terms of his being a staple within the Indianapolis media market, but I had never met him. But we kind of joked that we were, you know, newfound co-workers at that time. But beyond that, when I met him, he was one of those people that immediately when you meet him, he acted as though he and I had grown up together. He had an infectious smile and warmth about him that, to me, I'm not speaking about necessarily in the way it made me feel in that moment, but rather the way that it made the people who were getting the services at the Quality Life Adult Center, the way it made them feel. And it was the ultimate gift of humanity that I was witnessing before me because he knew every one of those people that were dancing, who were letting all of their worries go by the wayside while they were enjoying the music that he was playing, the requests that he was fulfilling, and the encouragement that he was giving with the microphone while he was allowing this dance party to take place. And it was a truly, truly wonderful gift to witness. And later I found out that Jerry, aside from his radio job, was actually going into the Quality Life Adult Center every single day as he became the director of all of the events that they would have Monday through Friday for the enjoyment, the fulfillment, and the reward of all of those people that were benefiting from Jerry, their friend. And There are so many people that get into television and radio, and they do so because they want to spotlight themselves. They want to empower themselves. And then there are those that do it because they want to spotlight and empower 
a city or a people that they feel need to be championed. And that's what Jerry Wade did for the people of Indianapolis. He was a staple within urban radio. He was an icon, certainly within the African-American community in Indianapolis, but more so just the city of Indianapolis itself by using his platform, using his microphone to shed light on the betterment of the people that benefited from his talent and his smile and his warmth. That is the ultimate, ultimate gift of this profession. It is the ultimate gift to this profession. And in my opinion, it's the ultimate responsibility of this profession of which so very few do it. And certainly none, I don't think, could do it better than the way Jerry did. Yesterday's announcement came to us that he had passed away. Um, He passed away peacefully but he leaves behind a legacy that all of us should aspire towards, and that is making his city a better place, and notably, when one passes, having those that are left to mourn you oftentimes be those that people didn't even realize the connection and the impact that he had on their lives. And Jerry Wade, each day for the last 40 years that he was a staple of the airwaves in Indianapolis, did it to a point that we should all aspire both on and off a microphone and did so as the ultimate testament to why hopefully all of us do what we do for a living and will continue to try to do to even a percentage of the professionalism and the grace in which he did it. He will be missed by this city for a very, very long time. Stephen Holder joins us next. Two o'clock hour on... Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Away in Indianapolis, how are you? My name is Jake Query. Jimmy Cook, Eddie Garrison here as well. Query and Company on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Stephen Holder of ESPN joining us now. And Stephen... Um, even though I have read it several times today, I will reiterate it, I guess, for those who are just joining the program. And that is, and I, cause I just kind of want to go over with you this statement earlier today from the Indianapolis Colts quote, Jim Mercer is currently being treated for a severe respiratory illness. While this unfortunately means he won't be able to perform with his band this week in Los Angeles, he is receiving excellent care and looks forward to to refer, uh, excuse me, to returning to the stage as soon as possible. We'll have no additional information at this time, and we ask that you respect the privacy of Jim and his family as he recovers. End quote. Uh, I believe Stephen, and I simply wanted your, and it's maybe inconsequential. I, I think this statement, probably while appreciated, was also somewhat created by the fact that there were those that began to wonder like gosh this is the time of year where we typically do see him more often and of course obviously his absence was becoming noteworthy thus the release but just your overall reaction I guess or what you have learned about this yeah so correct on all counts Um, I'm one of those people who had been inquiring um I have not personally seen Jim Ursay. I don't believe since the week after Thanksgiving. That doesn't mean anything. Let me be clear. But that's definitely different, right? I think we can all agree. 
Uh, he is extremely public. Um, I, I looked at my text messages, in fact, with him, my text exchanges. The last time I received a text back was, I believe, November 29th. Again, doesn't mean anything. I'm it, just, is that unusual? It is unusual. Um, he's chatty. <laughs> so, yes, <laughs> he's definitely chatty. And I, I do hear from him often. Um, in, in many cases, unprompted, you know, in fact, the last exchange that I'm referring to was unprompted. It was, you just felt like chatting and sent along a, a message. Uh, so anyway, everyone who, who engages with Jim Mercy has the exact same experience. Um, so yeah, it's very unusual. Uh, I would say this too. Um, I, I'm not the only one either. I mean, other, uh, other colleagues of mine were, were paying attention to uh, one of the, one of the places I see Jim Ursay um, almost regularly is when we go on the road with the Colts, uh, he is in the locker room after the game, you know, for, for the post game speech, he, you always see him, right? He's front and center. The Colts put out those videos. He's always there. He had not been there of late. I had not seen him, um, when I say the road, the reason I say the road is because at home there are back doors and, you know, sort of uh, accommodations for Ursay and VIPs on the road. It's just a, you know, sort of a rinky dink uh, visitors locker room, one way in one way out. And he, you know, it's a little harder for them to hide him from us <laughs> because they know we, you know, we'll want to talk and we'll, we'll want to stop him and, and it'll become a full blown interview. So anyhow, uh, it, it's it was very strange to not see him. Um, so anyway, I don't. I, I, I'm not suggesting anything. I'm saying that was odd and that was creating questions. The other thing that was going to create questions was if he was not at the show on Thursday night. And you know, it's it's other than his family and the Colts, nothing else matters to him more than the Ursa collection. So. If he was not present, that was going to create a whole slew of questions. So I'm not surprised we got word today. In the, and we certainly hope, Stephen, that Jim Irsay is back on his feet in no time and back to 100%. being healthy again. Um, in the event that he has, a, a, let's say, a longer illness, or let, let's just say two weeks, I mean, for the sake of argument. Mm-hmm. Um, who oversees control of the team during that time period in his absence? Even if he just wanted to take a leave and say, "You know what, right. uh, I'm going to I'm going to go to Bali for six weeks and clear my head." Who runs the franchise at that point? Okay, good question. I, I think we have to go back to precedent, and the the precedent here is from 2014 when Roger Goodell suspended him uh, for, I believe. I think it was, well, it was a, it was a long period of time. And I know he got suspended uh, for six games. He could not attend Colts games for six games that year. He also was, um, he also was, was, was prohibited, excuse me, uh, from overseeing daily function of the team uh, for, for a period of time that I can't remember. Anyway, during that period, the, the team established that Carly Ursay, his oldest daughter, that she would be, in charge. And, and she was, do I think Ursay was completely detached? No, but whatever, that's irrelevant. Um, 
so that's what they did then. I would say this, uh, Carly and her youngest, her youngest sister, Kaylin Jackson, um, they are the two that I, I would say are, are most, uh, most often involved in the daily operation of the team. Carly, much more so. Um, Kaylin is very invested in the Kick the Stigma uh, program, uh, a lot of the team's charitable efforts as well. Um, and she obviously is, is abreast of, of what's happening with the team as well. So uh, Carly's there every day. Um, I pull up to the facility most days and I see her car parked there. She, she works there. She's like nine to five. She's in the office. She's doing stuff. Uh, Carly's very in, invested in the operation of the team. Uh, she, she's on the sidelines during games with, a, with an actual uh, call sheet that the coaches use. The reason for that is because she's trying to uh, become more well-versed and, and how the, the coaches operate. So it, it, some people have seen that and wondered what the hell is she doing? And that's what it is. I mean, she's not, she's not interjecting. She's not, she, she's not even, she's not even, uh, they don't even have any interaction with her during the game. Uh, she's really just an observer trying to kind of, you know, kind of learn and, and I think master the business. So all oh, that's a good thing, I think. Um, so yeah, Carly would be presumably uh, the, the next person to, to truly, uh, run the team on a daily basis. If, if Jim Mercer, in our hypothetical, very, very hypothetical scenario, that Jim Mercer was unable to do so for a lengthy period of time. Stephen Holder is our guest from ESPN.com. Okay, Stephen, let's start looking back at the season itself. You know, much has been made about the final play and the final game and those sorts of things. Um, we now have heard from Shane Steichen. We know that it appears as though Gus Bradley will be retained. Uh, I guess the first question would be this. If you had to pick the area where the Colts most likely will look the most different next year, aside from quarterback, it will be where? Hmm. I like that. Uh, wait, before we go on, I, I want to interject with one thing. I didn't want to do this when we were talking about much more serious matters, but <laughs> this is funny. I, I got in my car to pick up some groceries earlier. You guys were on when I turned the, the ignition on. The station was on. So I, I listened for the first few minutes. And I, as soon as I turned, on, turned it on, I heard a reference to Marty Blake. And it brought, like, such joy to my heart. <laughs> and I also wondered, do your, co- do your colleagues in the studio know who the hell Marty Blake no, even is? zero question. No question. We'll, we'll ask No them. idea. No idea. No Eddie? Nope. What was the name? I'm sorry. I wasn't paying attention. Marty Blake. Nope. You mentioned it during, what was it, like a video game rant or something? I, I, I didn't know the context. I think that's right. I was talking about how when you do iRacing, you get people that like think it's Monaco, and I said it's like when you play pickup ball, and you're like, guys, Marty Blake's not walking through that door. Right. I love that. Half your listeners know, don't know who the hell that is. Okay, how about this? I got the Patino reference about involved this? there, Marty though. Marty McFly. So. Are you familiar with Marty McFly? I am familiar with Marty McFly. Eddie yes. Marty McFly? Yes. Yes. Okay. So we at least brought him back up to the future here, or the present. 88 right, miles an hour, baby. Let's roll. Let's do it. That's right. So, Stephen, so, would you like to educate the boys on who Marty Blake is? Yeah, so Marty Blake was, um, well, he, he was, I think he's a general manager of maybe even a, even multiple teams. I can't remember. But um, he was, he was a, an, an NBA scouting director for many, many, many years. And I mean, like, 
till he was like literally an old man. Um, I think he's passed on now, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I believe he died some years ago. But uh, but the reason I, I brought joy to me is because Marty Blake, who I, I have an NBA background, as some of you might know, and I remember at draft time I would go to the draft camp, as I used to call it. Now it's the combine. I used to go to the NBA draft camp in Chicago. And Marty Blake would be there, and he would just hold court. And it was like it was like basically talking to Mel Kiper, but but in basketball. And this guy actually knew everything because he was actually the, the guy scouting these guys and actually helping make picks and so forth. He was unbelievable. And he this is a guy who would he I think was one of the first people to start traveling abroad and really going out and finding talent in Europe and Asia. Um, he was he was ahead of his time, man. He really now, was. And you talk about a guy who just like knew his knew his job. He was he was the best. Now, Stephen, here we go. This is beautiful. I'm going to put you on the spot here now, right? And Eddie and Jimmy, you guys can partake. Somebody just texted me within the market that we all know and like that said, by the way, my grandfather Jake gave Marty Blake his first job working wow. in PR. Now, what person in Indianapolis, of course, right, would be the one? Anyway, would be the one whose grandfather gave Marty Blake his first job. That's definitely anyway. Eduardo Blanco. Yes, Eddie White is indeed the correct answer. Awesome. Eddie White is indeed the correct answer. <laughs> of course, there's an Eddie White connection. <laughs> yes, of course, of course, right? Now, oh man, that's hilarious. The other question in all this, Stephen, before we get to the Colts, is you said that you got in the car. We were talking about something, and you heard Marty Blake, and you quote. We're listening for a few minutes. Now, what I'd like to know is, does this mean that you were just driving two blocks or you decided to go ahead and turn it over to a different station? No. So you would, you'll be happy to know uh, that Kroger is a very short distance from the house. So, okay. No, that's all it was. Want to make sure we're cool. I do okay. want to ask one non-Colts question, but a football question all the same, Stephen, while we have you, because you yeah. reacted like many did on Twitter today. It's not directly tied to the Colts, but it does impact the AFC South. The uh, Tennessee Titans part ways with Mike mm-hmm. Vrabel. A disappointing last two years, but a coach of the year it, in 2022 and led them to a one seed AFC championship game caught you by surprise. I'm not saying that that's a right or wrong opinion, but I want to know why you're so curious as the rationale for this about face by Tennessee. Yeah. I mean, I think they've been in a tough spot as a franchise the last couple of years. And, and I don't think it's through any fault of his own. Um, If you go back to the, you know, of, of Mike Vrabel, that is, you know, you go back to the, the AJ Brown trade, all indications and all of the reporting around that was that Vrabel was pissed about that. Like he didn't do it. He was, he was the guy saying, are we crazy? And, and they, <laughs> he's been vindicated on that decision for sure. Um, and, and I just think he has done more, I think with less truly elite, um, you know, talent at, at, at quarterback and skill positions outside of Derrick Henry, who is great, obviously. And I think you saw that on Sunday, Derrick Henry. I mean, what a great game still at this age, but anyhow, their entire offense has been Derrick Henry and just a bunch of guys. And so, yes, especially after trading AJ Brown. So I just think that he has, he has instilled a, a toughness in that team that has carried them for years. Uh, it's a disposition. They they had talent, and they do have talent, 
But but I think more than anything, uh, they're a team that took on the demeanor of their coach. I mean, we watched Mike Vrabel play years ago, and I see those thumbprints all over his team. And <laughs> I can tell you, we, you know, we were just talking about Jim Mersey. There is no coach outside of his own that Jim Irsay has admired more over the years than Mike Vrabel. Like, he is infatuated with Mike Vrabel. And I get it. I mean, there really is something to his teams. Now, again, um, there is some truth to maybe evolving and, and maybe maybe his teams needed to be a little bit more cutting edge. I, I don't know. But I also don't know that that would have worked because of the personnel that they had. So, anyway, I, I, I was – I wasn't totally caught off guard because there was buzz and we were starting to hear that. I know Adam Schefter reported in recent days that there was some instability there. Um, but this looks like the owner made the call. Um, she's on record saying this was her decision. So very interesting to see where this goes. And obviously there's the new England rumor and, and all that. So it's, it's a fascinating situation. And I would sure. assume that head coach will still be his next move as opposed to, a oh, I have no somewhere. doubt. I have no um, doubt. Okay, Steven, so back to the Colts. The area that you think they might look the most different, not named quarterback, is where? Yeah, so I'm, I'm guessing, and maybe this is wishful, wishful thinking, um, I have to think it's in the secondary. You know, it's interesting. Last year, uh, Chris Ballard, I, I, they were terrible last year. Okay, there's no question about it. But um, to his credit, he saw a, a young secondary and a secondary that, that didn't have a ton of depth and so what did he do? He went out and he, he, he sort of shored that up by signing Stephon Gilmore and bringing in guys like um, Rodney McLeod, you know, a veteran safety who I thought was great for them last year. And, and I think, you know, it, it, I saw the benefits of it, but I think you could look at the record overall and, and it's very easy to say, well, that didn't get us anywhere. But there were other issues, right? I mean, that wasn't their issue. There were certainly much bigger issues. So anyway, what you then did was, you know, because you did not take the same approach this year in terms of of bringing in that veteran presence, and then you also had the double whammy of multiple, multiple injuries back there, you were left with an absolute disaster of a secondary. They took a guy who they moved to linebacker in Ronnie Harrison – and then Julian Blackman gets hurt, and they're like, whoa, 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 never mind. Go back to safety. Like, that's a disaster. That is a complete, absolute disaster. And, and I'm telling you, C.J. Stroud had two touchdown passes the other night. Both of them involved mistakes in coverage. What else do we need to say, right? I mean, you have basically wasted – you wasted – the best pass rush in the Indianapolis era, man. Like, if I sound upset, it's not that I'm upset. I'm just, like, bewildered. <laughs> so, I, I just think you got to do something about that. Like, it's no offense to Juju Brents and, and, you know, the Jalen Jones of the world. Like, I mean, Jalen jo- – yeah, Jalen Jones of the world. Like, those guys, you know, you're talking about, in one case, a, a, a rookie who, who barely played this year because he was hurt, and then another guy who, who was, I think, a – seventh round pick so i mean what are we even talking about you know yeah you got yeah you had coverage bus no kidding steven so anyway i think that's where they should make the biggest changes let's talk about one of their their clearly most dire or dire is the wrong word most urgent areas that they're going to have to address and that's the michael Pittman contract situation let me throw you a yeah. um 
a perspective, and you tell me if you think there's any accuracy to it. The I think the thought process is that they're going to have to, and they are going to have to pay Michael Pittman. Yeah. But is it possible that it's not going to break the bank as much as people might think because while he is obviously a great player and has played very well and done everything the Colts have asked, other teams would see Michael Pittman as a player that has been great for the Colts because it's what the Colts need and that it doesn't necessarily translate to them getting the same production within their offense, and thus he might be financially worth more to the Colts than he would be to X team elsewhere. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? Yeah, I get it. I get it. Well, I I think it depends on your perspective. I I tend to disagree, and here's why. I I would say this: you are correct on one in one respect. I think that you are correct in that he's he has more value to the Colts, and but that's for, I think that for a different reason. I think because the Colts have such a drop off behind him that and 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 it's very hard to replace him. You know, we're not talking about just adding depth. You're talking about if he walks or if you decide to let him walk, you're talking about not just, oh, we got to get a receiver. No, you have to get a receiver who can handle that level of production, to give you that level of production. Where are you going to find that guy? That is very difficult to do. It's not for a lack of trying. They have tried. They can't find that because it's hard to find. It's not out there. Um, You have to generate that or, excuse me, you have to develop that via the draft or or else you just got to pay through the nose to do it. So I don't think he's easily replaceable at all. Um, I would say the, the reason I disagree to a degree with what you're saying is this or the theory. I actually think, and Michael Pittman I know feels this way, Michael Pittman, if he were in a, a more um, ideal situation, I think his numbers would be – pretty stunning. And as it is, I mean, he's got, I think, 1,180 yards, even as it is. But I think one of the things that didn't happen this year was, I think he lost out on a lot of yards after catch that, that could have been at his disposal, could have been there for him. And, and he, that happened because of what we saw on fourth down the other night, which is the quarterback being off, off target. How many times this year, I know if you watch the Colts on any regular basis, how many times this year did you see Michael Pittman have to contort his body and go up and climb the ladder and make a a catch in midair that he would generally come down with? I actually give him a lot of credit. He did it on a regular basis because the ball wasn't accurate. So I just think if he were, if he were to go to say Kansas city, and I'm I'm not saying that he's even on the table, I'm just giving an example. Somewhere like that, you have scheme, consistency, quarterback consistency, all those things already in place. Oh, my God. It would be, it would be unbelievable, I think. He, he, is not, he is not a guy who's going to go run a 4-3, not Tyreek Hill. We know all that. But he is a guy who, who still has an ability to produce after the catch because he's big and a good runner and, and has a huge catch radius to begin with. So, yeah, I, I think Michael Pittman has even more upside we haven't seen. You're 1,000% right about the Kansas City point, but there's not time for me to get into that. I'm going to take the fan hat off, and I'm going to go back but into... Do you need receivers? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Again, that's a conversation that uh, would take up far too much time. Building off of Jake's question, though, Stephen Holder of ESPN.com joins us. The Pulse right now, and maybe you haven't had these conversations directly yet, Stephen, but I know they'll be happening in the coming weeks and months... 
I view it the same way you do. They cannot afford to let him walk. If there's a scenario where they get an inkling that they may get outbid or they don't even want to chance that, is it no questions asked they're going to tag him? Oh, I think so, yeah. I, okay. I absolutely expect that if it if it comes to it. Um, you know, you don't really want to tag your guys if, you, if you're really truly trying to reach a long-term deal because it only adds acrimony to the situation or it potentially adds acrimony. But I would say Michael Pittman's comments yesterday tell me that he gets it. He understands it. His father played in the NFL. And, and by his comments, what I mean is uh, he said on the record to us, uh, we, he was asked about the franchise tag and his response is, well, you know, $23 million sounds good, but you know, do I want to play on the tag because of the lack of flexibility? No, it's a one year deal and it restricts you in free agency. But he said, but it can also be a launching pad to, you know, allow you to continue negotiating. And so my reaction to that is I'm actually fine negotiating with a guy like Michael Pittman, who is business savvy, who understands it. He's unemotional about it. Right. I think sometimes contract negotiations get so emotional. You know, we, we saw that with my, with uh, Jonathan Taylor this year. Uh, it would be, I think it'll be very different with Michael Pittman just because number one, his market is different. And his situation is different, but also because he, he gets it. He just, he understands this. He's been thinking about it a long time. I'm sure he and his agents have been strategizing. Uh, I think it'll be a very honest and above board conversation and they'll figure it out. Steven, a couple of weeks ago, Steven Holder, ESPN.com is our guest. A couple of weeks ago, you and I went to a Pacer game. Um, afterwards, you didn't realize it, but you left a water bottle in the car and I was cleaning out my car and, and found the water bottle. And as I tipped over the water bottle, lo and behold, guess what, fellas, popped out. But none less than a genie, Robin the Genie. Man, I've been looking for him I for know. a couple weeks. And Robin the Genie, when I released him, said he wanted to come in studio to ask Stephen a question. I said, sure, you can do that. So we're going to give right. the, the floor now goes to Robin the Genie. Stephen, my question for you. It is week nine of the NFL season next year, and the Colts have a sizable fourth-quarter lead. So they bench their quarterback, Anthony Richardson. But Stephen Holder, please, at this time, tell me, who is the quarterback that comes in in relief duty as the backup? And if you are correct, I will give you $1 million next year in week number nine. Even though he doesn't always pay. Tell me, Stephen Holder, who is your guess on who that quarterback will be? Oh man, this is a, the stakes are high here, man. A million bucks. What am I, what, what, what is my first purchase, man? So, uh, I here's the one. Here's more one. stock in the uh, company. That's oh, right. Oh, yeah, the most valuable thing. That's right. That's right. Uh, so here's one. This is food for thought. How do you like this? Tyler Huntley. Wow. Ravens backup. Okay. Thought, yeah, thought-provoking, right? Listen, he's a guy... I have I recorded your answer. A, <laughs> I don't think he's a guy who necessarily gets a starting job. He's going to try, I presume. And maybe the Ravens just say, no, we don't let this guy go. We're keeping him. I don't know. But he's intriguing. And he has a similar style to to Anthony Richardson. I mean, they have... Almost an identical style, right? So, in terms of what the things that they're good at, so it would be interesting. I mean, you could, you, you almost don't lose, you know, sort of the the your favorite parts of the playbook 
if Huntley has to play. This is super hypothetical, obviously. Um, only, the, only the genie knows. But, I mean, <laughs> I would say it depends on, on what his market is out is there. It, you know, for it's that reason, thing. Stephen, you, you make it a, a really interesting point in terms of style of play. Does mm-hmm. it make in any way, shape, or form – does it make for a challenge for Chris Ballard and Shane Steichen this year to be able to completely itemize the weapons they have offensively because of a potentially totally different style they will use with Anthony Richardson than they did with Gardner Minshew? Um, no, I think because I think they they know what it looks like, so it won't be that hard. It uh, they just have to kind of adjust their thinking, if maybe on some guys, but no, I don't. I don't think it's hard. They they. They spent all of the offseason and all of training camp getting Anthony Richardson ready, right? So, so they they know what the offense they, they know what they want the offense to look like when when he's out there, you know. So I don't I don't think it'll be that difficult. Uh, it really just boils down to a matter of you know what do they want and what do they want to do. Um, they won't be hard. I don't think so. I finally figured out Robin's gambit. It's stock options. That's what it is. That's why I'm not getting cash. He doesn't right. include that That's in the right. disclaimer, but it's stock options for the company. Penny That's stocks. A, yeah, That's okay. Right. All right. All the Well, actually, it's mostly cryptocurrency. <laughs> ah, okay. Steven, just so you know, we, we do know that Robin the Genie's big on cryptocurrency, so you never know actually when you're going to be able to cash in. Oh, well, yeah, that's that's totally a, a for sure thing, so I, I appreciate it. Big that. on GameStop, too. He's actually trying to re- recreate right. that magic from a couple years ago. Uh, last question right. for you, Steven. In terms of the next week or so, what are kind of the next – you know, the season is so funny because it just ends, right? It's just over. Yeah. Um, you know, usually there's like a year-end press conference where they kind of go over everything. Uh, where do things stand in terms of the next week or two? What's kind of the next step here for people to anticipate? Okay, well, in terms of voices, you will hear from Chris Ballard as early as this week. Um, we're, we're nailing that down. So don't have a, a, a for sure answer yet. But that will happen, and I think that'll be interesting because, you know, it's, it's going to be so different than last year. Really, we haven't talked to him, I don't think, in an interview setting uh, since the preseason, you know, when they were coming off a, a four-win season. So, so very interesting. I want to hear what he thinks about the direction of the team, how close he thinks they are. Shane Steichen thinks they're close to something. Uh, I want to hear what Ballard thinks. And and if he agrees, then what does that do in terms of uh, altering his team-building approach? You know, we debate this all the time. I want to hear that answer. What does what do the results of this season, which were massively different than, than expectations, what does that do for informing his next move? And then beyond that, uh, I really think it just boils down to, uh, you know, settling – any potential coaching staff moves they may have, I don't anticipate a lot, but but you can never say never, and and there's always some movement on coaching staffs, so we'll see. Stephen, we appreciate not only your time, but we also strongly encourage you next time that when you've got to go to Kroger, that you go to the one in Dayton and you listen the entire way there and back. How's that? <laughs> okay, will my signal uh, stay up all the way? We'll see. We Good. have the app just for you, Stephen, as you know, right? Oh, that technology stuff. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, 
believe it or not, it is possible to both know Marty Blake and modern technology. I, you know. <laughs> oh, trust me. <laughs> I, I, I car play all day. Yeah, I am. Actually, I do know that for a fact too. That was along uh, with right. the water bottle. Stephen, appreciate <laughs> it, man. Right. See you guys. All right, Stephen Holder, ESPN. Steven's got a nice ride, by the way. So I lied, actually. I didn't drive. He, he drove. And then I just, the water bottle was his, though. But he does have a nice car. And then, but still, nothing beats the time. The last time that I drove for a Pacer game to St- with Steven, Shannon was with us, and she ended up driving my car home because as we were leaving the field house, I got word that Too Short was playing at the Vogue. And I'm like, we're going straight to the Vogue, straight to the Too Short concert. And Shannon's like, well, I don't want to go to Too Short. And I go, fine. Then we're going to drive there. You're going to drop us off, take my car home, and then we'll Uber, which we did. And it was uh, – Too Short didn't necessarily do a show. He more just kind of stood up there and told stories and occasionally rapped them. But it was nostalgically awesome. Nostalgically awesome. Uh, Pacer News, if you have not heard it, we will get you caught up on that. We'll do it on the other side here on a Tuesday edition of Quarian Company, 93.5107.5 The Fan. Bad news, good news. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Would you like first, Jimmy Cook, the bad news or the good news? Give me the bad first. Get out of the way. The bad news is if you are planning on watching Tyrese Halliburton or if you are my friend Michael coming over from Australia who bought tickets, hotel, and airfare for five people to come to the Pacers Western road trip, you are not going to be seeing Tyrese Halliburton. But the good news is that that might be just the window in which Halliburton is out because we now know grade one sprain and MRI revealed on his hamstring after last night's injury in the Pacers big win against the Boston Celtics and so Halliburton is going to be out what probably two to four weeks Eddie that's pretty safe assessment at least initially yeah that's typically around the range of a grade one sprain is you're out from two weeks to a month and so probably Benedict Matherin becomes bigger in terms of you know, I will. I'll be the geek here. I will admit to you guys, I have a fantasy basketball team. I actually enjoy it because it gives you reason to like follow the sure. games each and every night. I do too. Um, in my league, Benedict Matherin is a free agent, and I've thought about picking him up for the week because Ooh. I think his numbers are going to go up a lot. Yeah, this is a both for your fantasy basketball team, clearly, and also the Pacers. Like, this is a very interesting bridge opportunity. For Benedict Matherin, I know a lot of his success over the last month has been work off the bench at times, but I tweeted it out last night. He wasn't the only cog that helped push the Pacers over the finish line against the Celtics, but he was every bit at spurts over the last month, and especially against Boston last night, the player I thought they drafted him to be, which is a confident scorer, somebody that's not afraid to drive the paint when needed. He's improved his passing a tremendous amount. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but with how much he struggled a year ago defensively, he's at least improved a little bit in that department. And this is another opportunity for him to show that even though this isn't a team that feels like it has to have a number two, that's a pick that at the time, and I still feel the same way now, you needed to hit on. You need that to be a piece with this being a smaller market that is a confident second Robin, whatever you want to phrase it, to Tyrese Halliburton moving forward. And he's taken big strides so far this year. 
They're going to need him to be exactly what you're saying, Jake. Another step forward for him if they want to have anything better than, say, a two or two and three stretch over the five games out west. Uh, by the way, I don't know if it's 93.5 or 107.5, but if, well, of course, if you can't hear me, you can't know which one to switch over to, but apparently we're having issue on our frequencies. So um, if you're listening to us on the app, we appreciate it. Or on YouTube, let us know. Facebook, or on YouTube, X, uh, any of Twitter. the different platforms other than the airwaves, we are much appreciative of it. Um, but you know, the, the, it feels like Jimmy that the Pacers have like kind of this trap game with Washington, right? Because you're looking at the the, the road trip and and you're like, Washington, who takes Washington seriously, right? And that vibe around the Wizards and the Pacers only popped up because of how bad they looked on the road in Washington. You go back to opening night, you're not going to necessarily crown the Pacers like Eastern Conference champions or anything after that matchup, but they looked brilliant to open the season in part because Washington is a rollover team. Like Nobody really takes the Wizards in this current form seriously, and then you have the stumbling and the just head-scratching play on the road in Washington and all of a sudden it's like, is this a team they're going to struggle with or are they going to be able to Close out, take care of business, and coast to a victory before you take that long road trip. The uh, the situation last night, were you at the game? I was. T- take me through kind of the, I guess, the mood of the building when Halliburton went down. Well, so you mentioned it earlier, and you highlighted the Tony East tweets. He slips early in that game, like in the first quarter, and it's like one of those where if you're ever walking outside and there's like a pass- patch of ice and your feet just get taken out from under you and you wind up on your backside. It was kind of like that. Like, it wasn't an injury fall, but it was a, oh, how'd that happen type of thing. And, of course, Tyrese was frustrated because it led to a turnover, and I think it led to a Celtics basket. Then you fast-forward to later in the second quarter, and it happens again, and initially you think, okay, there's more moisture on the floor. He just slipped and he fell, and he's going to be fine. But then you see him turn over and grimace, and it didn't really get real in terms of the vibes being very panicky or quiet in the arena in the field house until they pick him up and it's clear like he can't put weight on this thing like you need to you go into panic mode because you can't see from most even though there's a great vantage point it's such a bang bang play you can't see directly what happened they're not going to show the injury replay in the field house you don't know if it's a knee if it's an ankle what it is but you just see your franchise player being picked up and having to be carried off the floor I think he eventually is able to walk under his own accord when they get him back to the tunnel and they put ice on it. But yeah, it was like a library, Jake. Basically. And it's a fan base that has a PTSD overseeing yeah. that anyway, right? Yes. Because you have everything from Paul George to Victor Oladipo. And then on the other side of it, I mean, obviously the Peyton Manning next situation uh, you know, going further back, you know, Eddie White mentioned earlier, he's right, Steve Etman, Quentin Coriat, Clark Kellogg. You, I mean, Kellogg, brought up Robbie Hummel. Like, Robbie Hummel, yeah. uh, you, know, you know, from IU basketball standpoint, uh, you know, all the way from Scott May to Alan Henderson, you know, every probably every market has that, Jimmy, to yeah. an extent. I mean, every city probably has those issues just in terms of a history. But it does feel like with this franchise in the last, you know, decade. 10 years, yeah. decade, the Paul George one's interesting because people are like, oh, man. But what we forget is the Paul George came back from that and came back probably even like a better player, you know. But it was the fact that it was right when he had crossed through the barrier of like, 
local player into this like budding national star and it's like holy cow you know we, we've thirsted so long to get a franchise guy and now and and it's this guy that I remember Kevin Lee and I in the Colts locker room one time after George's rookie year talking and we were talking about Paul George and we're like yeah he's just a guy I mean you know he I think there were high high praise about him, but he's just. I, mean, yeah, I think we're finding out he's just a guy. And then a year later, Kevin Lee and I are both like, "Yeah, we could not have been more wrong," <laughs> because he's an elite level player. Um, but to have that grow right before your very eyes and then see him get hurt, it's not like thirty years later it happens too with the PTSD of the fan right, base, right? It's, right. It's, it's you're talking about well, bang, bang, bang over the course of ten and years. You're going one right to the next, right to the next, right of players that are either supposed to be or are the face of the franchise. Yeah. Um, and I mentioned earlier, you know, when I was talking about like this fan base, no matter what, in this town, no matter what team you're a fan of, you have multiple examples on top of one another. It's just for the Pacers, it's so close together. For Purdue, you know, I'll never forget um, in the NCAA tournament. I mean, I thought that we talk so much about Purdue now, and this is where you give Purdue a lot of credit, is that this group right now is so good and is on such a run that you forget how good like the Ryan Klein, Carson Edwards teams are, and then you forget how good they were when Isaac Haas went down and and basically his elbow separated. I You still wonder what could happen with that team because that team was so centered through what he could do. And then I mentioned like with Indiana, there have been those teams where injuries have come into play. But for this this particular franchise, from Paul George and then into Oladipo, and Oladipo's, I think, you know, clearly was precipitating the beginning of the end, unfortunately for him as a player. But what you saw here, he's never recovered from. No. Because it happened again, and then he gambled on himself. So with Halliburton, the good news is that was avoided. But you understand why we automatically just jump to worst-case scenario. Yeah, you're, you're used to it to some extent here. And it's not a thing as a fault of anybody. It's just bad luck and bad timing. And thankfully, in this case, basketball gods or whatever you want to point to, it's just a strain. It's not something that could have been far more serious when you first see it happen in real time. And you have that image of him being carried off the floor. Uh, the other thing, you know, last night th- that we didn't talk about, I mean, this overshadows the fact it was a good win for the Pacers. And they needed to get a good stop at the end. I know that there's a lot of controversy about, I thought, at least on the television broadcast, that it looked like, in fact, Buddy Heald got a clean block on Jalen Brown. I, I know... I love the fact that there's a conspiracy that the that the NBA and the officials favored the Pacers. I mean, I, I I'm 51 it's years old. I never, turn. I never thought. Finally, their turn. I never thought I'd live to see it. I, <laughs> Mark Boyle said it last night. He's like, well, and I guess this immediately dispels those of you that believe there's a conspiracy against the small market Indiana Pacers, right? <laughs> Thank goodness. Him and Eddie Gill last night were both surprised that they overturned that call because they thought that Buddy Hill made contact with the head of Jalen Brown. See, I didn't think so. I, I, I saw the replay. It looked all ball and then maybe a little bit of Jalen Brown's head through the follow-through, but I don't know. I, would too, was surprised they overturned it. I was a little surprised they overturned it just because it has to be like irrefutable. But right. I, But to me... I guess they were looking specifically at the ball. It's, you know, at the ball, right? Um, right, because if you make contact with the ball first, it doesn't matter with the, right. of the contact after. Yeah. yeah, because then it's basically a loose ball at Correct. that point, mm-hmm. right? The um, the decision at the end by Matherin, I, did he intentionally miss the free throw or just miss the free it throw? Looked it, looked like, it looked like in person that they had said to him to miss it. 
Point three left, and Boston got a really good look. They did. Really good look. But uh, the basketball gods shined upon Indiana after the earlier incident. Maybe they shined on them twice because we find out that Halliburton's injury is just that grade one sprain. John will come in, help us put a tie on all of it, and we'll hand it off to him. We'll do it next. Today's plays of the day, the rare union of both Purdue and Indiana because we have selections for both of them in today's plays. We'll start first with Indiana. They have not won at Rutgers in six years. It's time for that to end tonight. Give me Indiana on the money line. Plus 142 is the juice there. Purdue and Nebraska, I know it took overtime to beat them a year ago. They will win handily tonight. I'm going to lay the seven on Purdue against the Cornhuskers. Eddie? Do you know the leading score in that game that IU won at the rack last time? Okay, hold on. Six years ago? Yeah. Boy, so you're talking Indiana's leading score? Yes. I that don't. That would have been the 18 season? Yes. Well, you're asking the wrong guy because the years, to me, like all run together. It becomes really difficult. Um, I guess I'll go with Yogi Ferrell. Jawan Morgan. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Good 24. player. 24. Good player. Um, I'm also writing IU on the money line. I just feel like this is a big win night for the Hoosiers. I agree. Rutgers hasn't won yet in the Big Ten, so would also be very fitting for the Scarlet Knights to get their first win Would of the be conference poetic. season yep. against the Hoosiers. But in that game, I am going to take Malik Renew over 14.5 points. He's averaging t- over 20 in the last five games. He's just been a different player uh, the last handful of games for Indiana ever since the Kansas game, really. I'd like to know, if it, since Indiana's playing Rutgers... Can anybody tell me the player under Bob Knight that transferred from Indiana to Rutgers? Like, you think anybody out there on Twitter would even know that answer? Yes. I think if you put it out to the masses, yes. You put it to me. Additionally, Eddie, no. if I'm not mistaken, Eddie, look this up and see if I'm correct in this. In 1976, Indiana went to the Final Four undefeated. Obviously, they're the last undefeated college basketball team. If I'm not mistaken, the 1976 Final Four also featured undefeated Rutgers. Is that right? And that Rutgers would have beaten, been beaten in the semifinals by Michigan? See if I'm correct in that. They would have been 30-0 and Rutgers, I think. Are you looking up the 1976 We, we don't have loving yeah. music, unfortunately. Do you have the... <laughs> You do the, you, are you the well, Rutgers is in there. I'm just trying to figure out what the record was. Oh, it doesn't have the record? Not on the first site that I went to. Wikipedia is, of course, all-knowing. That was the first site I went to. 1976 NCAA tournament. I'm just telling you. Rutgers was undefeated. Uh, Rob Hodgson, by the way, was a shooting guard, like a 6'7 guard out of somewhere out east. I think he was from New Jersey. Uh, which would make sense if yeah. he transferred back 28 to 28-0 when they entered the tournament. What were they? 28-0 when they entered the tournament. Yeah, so they were, what, I don't know if they, they wouldn't have been 32-0. They would have been 30-0 by the Final Four, 30, something like that. After 31 consecutive wins, yeah, 31-0. 31-0, okay. Um, were they beaten by Michigan? They were. Then UCLA got them in the consolation game. The consolation game? Do you know the last winner was, of the NCAA yeah, consolation I don't, game? I, don't. I, was, I figured that would go where we went, but no, I don't. I am fairly certain on this that the last consolation game winner was Rick Carlisle's Virginia Cavaliers in 1984. I'm fairly certain that that's correct. Uh, the 81 console, there was an 81. No, no, I take that back. I take that back. 
the last consolation game was 81. It was LSU over Virginia. I think yes. That's what it was. Yes. That's what it was. Yep. You're correct. That was the final consolation. Can you imagine the final four consolation game? Like you lose in the final four and it's like, but good news. You get to come back tomorrow and play for third. Get that bronze medal. I mean, good <laughs> Lord. No way. Right? Like, no. I mean. Oh, can you imagine the opt outs for that game? Yeah, in today's day, right? Gosh, Florida State has made it to the Final Four, but they actually have two walk-ons that are going to be playing in they the... Had, they had open tryouts in the gym the, last the week. The consolation game, that's right. Um, Some uh, of the James students just walked in. John is here or on location. John is here today. Eddie, what do we got lined up for the big program tomorrow? We'll be talking, obviously, about these two games tonight, right? Yep. Yeah, we'll talk about IU-Purdue tomorrow. Uh, Indiana again. Uh Indiana, Rutgers, Purdue, Nebraska. Somebody just asked me this too, so I want to end with this question. Somebody, and I get this a lot, to be honest with you. It happened a lot when I worked in television. Somebody asked me the question, Jake, please help me out. I was watching NFL games this weekend, and why was the language in Spanish? This is actually not a totally dumb question. It has to do with the setting on your television. Yep. And a lot of times, if you just grab the remote and you don't realize you did it, you go into the settings on your television and somehow, shape, or form, whether the dog walked over or whatever, you got your settings confused and it was clicked onto the wrong primary language on the settings of your television. Some right? remotes have an SAP function. Button. SAP. So if you look exactly for that, right. if you still have a cable remote, you can sometimes just press that. If you're a streamer, I, I can't really help you. Go to your settings and figure it out. Um, but that used to be the most common thing when I worked at Channel 6. People would call and they'd be like, for crying out loud. Tell everybody to quit speaking Spanish. And I'm like, I wish I could speak when Spanish. When they weren't looking for Hawaii Spanish. scores, that, <laughs> that was the second call, usually. Hawaii. Yeah, you knew one of the uh, Hawaii Cal Bakersfield. Was that a seven-point spread? <laughs> 12.30 at night on a Tuesday. <laughs> it's like, hey, buddy, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. That is the telephone number, I can assure you. It is 1-800-9-WITH-IT. All right, tomorrow we'll recap all of it. Again, uh, best wishes to Jim Mersey. You saw that, of course, that report from the Colts earlier today that he is battling a respiratory illness. And so we hope the best for him. Tyrese Halliburton, two to four weeks. That's the status as of now. John is up next. We'll be back with you tomorrow at noon here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan.